The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Did I listen to Conrad Thompson and Bruce Pritchard's The subject was podcast. And this was sent on January 5th, 2017. Hello, Mr. Shivani. Uh, I said, not at all. When I heard Conrad and Tony were starting a show, I was really excited. Tony Shivani was the first voice of professional wrestling that I remember hearing as a child. I wanted to reach out to present an idea to you. He said, you need to listen to it and you need to get one of your own. Started co-hosting another podcast with Bruce Pritchard called Something to Wrestle with past August. And it was that following week, I get an email from Conrad laying out the entire podcast. The format of the show is unlike most other podcasts in that we don't have guests. We avoid anything new or current, choosing just to focus on the good old days instead. When it was first announced that uh, Conrad and Tony were going to be doing a show, I was excited. At first, I didn't want to do it. I do a ton of research and then put together a bit of a timeline to discuss the subject in great detail. Bruce sprinkles in his opinions, shoots down the rumors, and shares what really happens. My attitude about the show was it would flop. I'd like to do a WCW show with the same format. I realize you've probably been pitched a podcast idea a hundred times already. Uh, My feeling was that uh, not many people cared about my work when I finished up at WCW in 2001. The WWF side has been hugely successful for us, and I know in my heart that the WCW side can be just as successful if we just have the right guy, and I think you are the right guy. So why would they care about uh, what I had to say now? Tony Schiavone was the announcer of my youth. Fans wanted to hear from him. Tony is my all-time favorite wrestling announcer. Excited not only for the uh, the WCW stories that Tony would be sharing, but to hear uh, from Tony himself. You're a broadcaster. You were there. You're funny. This could be great. I would love to do this with you, but I really understand if you don't have any interest. But Lois said, hey, you know, we're trying to pay for a wedding. So I said, sure. Anyway, sorry for the long email, but I appreciate you taking a look. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for all the memories. Conrad. This is the history of what happened when Mondays with Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. And that's how it all began. Volume one. Chapter 1, The Early Episodes With high hopes and expectations, Conrad Thompson lets the world know of his upcoming podcast with Tony Schiavone on the January 27, 2017 episode of Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I am absolutely excellent, man. It's a beautiful day. Uh, It is a beautiful day, and uh, we're going to start this week off with a bang. Uh, we're going to do something we've never done before, Bruce, and I guess technically this doesn't make us men of our word. It makes us liars, but we're doing something we've never done before to start the show this week. Well, yeah, uh, because something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, there are no guests needed by God. And, well, actually, this it's not really a guest, Conrad, because a guest is someone that you, you have to like, right? Well, I guess. <laughs> I guess. So, well, but we're going to start off with, with welcoming someone to the family. Let's put it that way, because you sure as hell don't have to like your own family. Well, I, I, at least in my family, we don't. Well, they say you don't get to pick your family, but you get to pick your friends. And we've picked a great one. We're going to welcome him to the MLW radio family. It's the voice of wrestling below the Mason Dixon line from 1983 to 2001. Tony Schiavone is now a part of the MLW Radio family. What's going on, Tony? How are you? Hey, uh, hey, uh, Conrad, and hey, Bruce. And I just want to say I don't like you fuckers either. 
<laughs> well, we're starting off on the right foot with a salty goddamn attitude. We don't have, we don't tolerate that kind of language here okay. on something to wrestle with. By God, you fucking asshole! I'm, I'm I am sorry, sir. It, actually, Bruce, it's great <laughs> to be talking to you again. And Conrad, uh, you were you were my grandmother's favorite Alabama fan. Well, I appreciate that. I know there was yeah. a lot of Alabama Roll fans. Freaking tide. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, it's great to be on being on with you guys, and uh, I'm very, very excited about all this. I really am. Well, let's tell you what's going on. If you're listening to the show here, you obviously understand the format. We go long form on one particular topic, and we empower you, the listener, to kind of pick what that topic is every single week as we stroll down memory lane from the golden era of the WWF into the Attitude Era, and then even the more modern era, Ruthless Aggression, everything in between. From Bruce's tenure there from 1987 to 2008. But what if you liked your wrestling a little more Southern? What if you leaned a little more towards the Mid-Atlantic era? What if you liked maybe some things WCW or Jim Crockett promotions? Well, Tony Schiavone and I are going to put together something I think you're going to really dig. We call it What Happened When Mondays. And this is going to be every single Monday right here on the MLW Radio Network. And what happened when is going to delve deep on all those Jim Crockett promotion stories and World Championship wrestling stories. And we're here to announce the debut of the show is this coming Monday. And, Tony, uh, what's our first topic this week? Well, our first topic is going to be kind of timely. It's going to be Goldberg. We'll talk about his impact on WCW, his legacy, uh, and uh, where we go from here. But uh, it, it's obviously a hot topic with a lot of wrestling fans from, uh, I guess, from from the mid-90s or the uh, late 90s on and through uh, right now, I guess. Absolutely. Hey, Tony, have you, have you ever been cross-examined in a courtroom before <laughs> uh, by a dickhead uh, prosecutor? I, I was uh, I was give, I was in a uh, <laughs> I was in a deposition by a dickhead prosecutor one time. Uh, That's nothing compared to what Conrad's going to put you through. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You will actually find common ground with me. (laughs) We will will have empathy for one another. Well, you know, it's back when you were married and I was single and I I couldn't find that common ground. Well, now, you know, we're both married, both got kids and we're both being cross-examined on a weekly basis by the uh, Conradison host, Mr. Thompson there. I I was looking forward to this. Uh, Now I'm not so freaking sure. (laughs) yeah give it a few weeks (laughs) well i'm sure we're gonna have a great time we'd love to have you join us Uh, follow tony on twitter he is at tony shivani 24 of course i am at hey hey it's conrad our show account is at whw monday Uh, so go find this in itunes it's going to be this monday the monday after the royal rumble the same Royal Rumble where you saw Brock Lesnar compete, you're going to be able to go ahead and listen to Tony and I talk about all things Goldberg from his debut in September of 97 all the way to Starcade 98 when the decision was made to finally beat Goldberg and end the undefeated streak. It's a time in wrestling. We may never see anything like this ever again. And we, we're going to talk for a long form, two, three hours, as long as it takes to really cover this in great detail and we'd love to have you a part of it. So hit the subscribe button. Tell your friends about it. It's What Happened When Monday right here on MLW every single Monday. And uh, as always, follow us on Twitter. We're going to do a poll again, and you'll be able to vote on next week's topics. All you've got to do is find us on Twitter at WHW Monday. 
anything else you'd like to say, Tony, before we kick your ass off the WWF show for good? No, I just like to say, Bruce, uh, Conrad, congratulations on your show. I'd heard really with a lot of people that I know heard so much about it, what's going on. Uh, I just hope to be able to follow in your footsteps uh, and keep the uh, keep everything alive, WCW. And I just like to say in, in closing, uh, Conrad, anything Bruce tells you about me and him in Las Vegas is a freaking <laughs> lie. <laughs> Pictures exist, Allie. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. So don't miss it. It's every single Monday right here on MLW Radio. What happened when Monday? Follow us on Twitter at WHW Monday. With this announcement made, the table was set for what happened when Monday's first episode on the very timely subject of Goldberg. What happened when host Conrad Thompson? I felt like the Goldberg show was probably my best research to date at that time uh, I, over, I uncovered everything i possibly could about him coming in uh, his entire run from his debut up until losing the title and every step along the way so i dug through every single observer uh, I, I tried to pick up as many books as i could i spent more than a week on that really trying to put forth the best possible show as our debut show and I felt like I had a good idea about when to go ahead and drop it by doing it the Monday after Bill Goldberg returned for the Royal Rumble. Of course, uh, he had debuted at Survivor Series or come back for Survivor Series, but I knew he'd be in the Rumble, and this would be our opportunity because everybody would be talking about Goldberg, and they were. And downloads the first day far surpassed the expectation. Uh, Court and I talked about, hey, if you get 40,000 downloads the first week, this thing is a huge success. It did 100,000 the first day. Episode one of What Happened When Mondays, Goldberg. Mr. Tony Schiavone himself. Tony, what's going on, man? I'd just like to say, Conrad, this is the greatest podcast in the history of our... Nah, fuck it. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> man, how I'm you looking, doing, buddy? I'm doing great, dude. I, I can't tell you how excited I am about this. We've had a lot of fun with Bruce going down memory lane for all things WWF. But uh, if you're a real wrestling fan, there's always two sides of the story. And now we get the other side of the story. The Atlanta, the Charlotte, the WCW, the Jim Crockett Promotions version. Uh, and you were there pretty much from the beginning. Uh, the rise and the fall, so to speak. So but what are you looking forward to or what are you dreading the most about this journey we're about to take? Well, what I'm dreading the most about this journey is that, as you know, uh, it's been many years since we've been doing this, uh, as since I've been in wrestling. And what I dread most is that uh, people are going to go away from this saying, well, he's just an old fuck who can't remember anything. I, I don't know if it's a combination of age or of not giving a damn, but... Uh, I don't remember every little detail about what we did. A lot of the fans remember those things better than I do. Before Goldberg gets signed to go train at the power plant, he mentioned that he was at least in preliminary negotiations with the WWF. Did you ever hear about that? I did not hear about that, but uh, if I'm a wrestler, uh, I'm going to... Use that bullshit line too. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm not, uh, not, not to I'm, say it was bullshit, but why not, right? Why not? In negotiation, yeah. 
so once he finishes up at the uh, power plant, he starts doing some dark matches uh, for before he makes his television debut. He had five that we could run down. Uh, he wrestled as Bill Gold. His first match was a dark match on June 23rd. This is 1997. Uh, it's before Nitro, and he wrestled his power plant trainer, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Uh, then he has another dark match uh, before a Saturday night episode. Uh, there he wrestles Buddy Landell. Of course, we're seeing this with some really seasoned veterans here. Uh, then he goes on to wrestle Hugh Morris at a house show, uh, and he has another dark match against Chip Minton. And then John Betcha at a house show. So on June 24th, uh, he wrestles his uh, final final dark match uh, at a Saturday night taping. He loses to Chad Fortune. Did you see any of these dark matches? No, any I did not. I didn't bell? watch dark matches. I just, I didn't. Well, nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, you know, it just, uh, you know, we did uh, we did matches and we did shows and we just. Uh, Kind of walked away from all that after that. I, I didn't really watch them. Well, there, I mean, there's not a reason for a television commentator to watch something that's not on television. I get it. it makes right, sense. Right, right. Yeah, I was, you know, I was, well, we did a lot of shit back then, and I was kind of, I don't know. Uh, In the middle I, of all of it. Yeah, you know, it's hard to say that I was tired because I was just sitting on my ass talking. So I wasn't tired. I was just tired of wrestling. It's, yeah, it's kind of like what I'm doing baseball now. You know, I do minor league baseball, and I get pretty thrilled about it around this time when you get into March and, and spring training starts in the middle of February, and then August, uh, April 1st starts, and you're really pumped about it. But by the middle of August, I don't want to see another fucking baseball game. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of the way I was with dark matches. We had seen so much stuff. I mean, you live this stuff, and, and you, you voice over matches uh, you know, in the studio on WCW Saturday night and worldwide, and you do things live. You just, if, if it ain't on TV, you don't want to see it. Uh, so let's get to the main event. What we're really here to talk about. We're going to talk about bookends for Mr. Goldberg, the start in the end, uh, September 22nd, 1997. We finally see Goldberg make his television debut. I think most everybody listening to this has seen this. He beats Hugh Morris, uh, Mm -hmm. in two minutes and 24 seconds. Uh, it's the same move he recently used uh, to beat Brock Lesnar, the jackhammer. Uh, before we talk about the match, uh, what did you think of the jackhammer as a finisher, Tony? I guess it's a suplex slam. I thought it was tremendous. I, I thought that Goldberg became a guy who got over because of a finishing move and not necessarily a guy who could talk. Right. Conrad, the guys in the business, I always thought that the way to get over in the business well, you got to be a, you got to be a good wrestler, but you got to be able to talk, and you got to be able to talk to the fans, and you got to be able to say something that they like, and that's you know that must have been the hallmark of Dusty, of Flair, of Stone Cold Steve Austin, of The Rock, all the big stars of Hogan. Uh, they could talk, and they would say things that you would, you know, identify with. Goldberg didn't do that. Goldberg just had this finishing move that everybody went, "Holy shit, that thing was great," and that's why he got over. Uh, and one of the reasons he got over, but right. but I, I thought the jackhammer was sensational. Uh, nobody uh, had been doing it uh, that I could remember, uh, and it looked legit, uh, and it uh, kind of uh, helped his persona of being a what fans have perceived and what really was a legitimate badass. So let me ask you this: when we're saying tough man division, around this same time or the next year, actually the next summer. The WWF would introduce Brawl for All, which is universally panned as one of their worst fucking ideas ever. This tough man division, was this supposed to be worked or would this be a shoot? 
No, it was going to be a work. Everything we did was a work, Conrad. Well, not Brawl for All, which is still the dumbest idea maybe in the history of pro wrestling. But we'll we'll challenge that okay. later, I'm I sure. I want to tell you how dumb Brawl for All was. Okay? Okay. I've completely forgotten about it. <laughs> That's how freaking dumb it was. If you'll say, if you'll ask, say, Shivani, uh, tell us about Brawl for All. I say, I don't even know where in the hell it was. That's great. In Minneapolis, the Goldberg T-shirt alone did $28,000 worth of sales at a single show, which was about 18% of the total merchandise sold. And I found this interesting. It's a quote from Meltzer again. Interesting Mm -hmm. that the first full week of Goldberg merchandise, the Goldberg merchandise is already the big seller, but the actual average per head is way down because for whatever reason, the sting and other stuff has plummeted. Um, Do you have any memories of why this may have been and what the talk may have been. Did Goldberg just take all the st- all the steam out of Sting and uh, as far as for, at the merchandise stand? Do you remember that being a thing or a topic? I don't remember being a topic, but I, I think that's pretty logical. Uh, around this same time, maybe one of the biggest things that happened in wrestling this year happened. Uh, TV Guide published copies of TV Guide with different wrestlers on the cover. Guys like Goldberg, guys like Austin. Uh, and they go on to sell the most copies since the death of Princess Diana. Now, I realize this sounds crazy in 2017, but it does huge business for TV Guide. And this is well before DVRs. So back then, nobody had an on-screen channel guide, really. This is the way you found out what was on television. And TV Guide had the biggest distribution of any magazine at the time. Uh, so, of course, since this is such a big accomplishment... The WWF champions this big on every television show, every chance they get. Uh, WCW mentions it zero times. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is that? Because Austin was on one. No, because we, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. <laughs> uh, how did we used to end Nitro back in the day? Well, Conrad, I, I, I'm not so sure what you're getting at, but I can tell you this: I'd like to hang around with you a little bit longer, but I'm desperately out of time. We gotta go! Tony Schiavone. Even after the Goldberg show, I, I thought that well, this is going to go nowhere. Conrad Thompson. You know, after that, I wasn't really sure where to really go, you know, because it's it's sort of like after Goldberg, no matter what you do, it's all downhill from here. But I knew that one of the most popular things about wrestling is to talk about the stuff that wasn't good. And I figured that out um, from the, the Bruce Pritchard show, but also, too, things like the death of WCW and Botchamania. People like when things are bad. So I thought, what better way to follow up than to do a 20-year anniversary for Sold Out 97, which was a horrible show. There's lots of non-finishes here. Is there consideration when you see a run sheet like this of how many, you know, guys are paying $27.95 at home to watch this, and you're not finishing anything up to this point, really? Right. Well, it's, it's, I mean, you could, I, I, listen, I, I don't think you can point at W at uh, NWO sold out 97 and say uh, the WCW is on the rise and that is the beginning of where things went wrong. I think there's a combination of things that happened that went wrong for our company. Sure. But I, I, I don't think there's any question that uh, no shows, and I can't speak for what happened in house shows. Uh, but no shows, because I, I didn't follow the house shows, we had TV to do. 
And that was another part of the business. The no shows and house shows and uh, screw job finishes are two of the things that hurt WCW the most as much as anything else. And if you have a, a non-finish here, I, I'm thinking not not trying to, and I'm not so sure Kevin uh, Kevin Nash was a part of the booking committee at this time or not. I know he became a part of the booking committee. He wasn't here yet. Okay, wasn't there yet. All right. Uh, what hell? You, why are you asking me these fucking questions, Conrad? You know all this shit. Okay. So after the Goldberg show, uh, I thought we uh, we got a lot better. Uh, we began to have a good uh, repertoire. It was a horrible show. The podcast wasn't that great either. We hadn't yet quite found our rhythm. Is that a word? Repertoire? I can never remember. Uh, a, a good repertoire between both of us. and But you know, the, here's the funny thing about that. Uh, Conrad and I still never had met in person after the first couple of shows. We just kept doing it on Skype. But I felt better about it. Repertoire. Tony was still at this point in the podcast calling it very straight, so it was easy for us to just be critical and shit on it, but not so much have fun with it. As the first few episodes were heard by the public, the response was mostly positive, but there were a couple criticisms that took hold among the listening audience. The booking committee. Um, booking committee. Booking committee. Booking committee. I would be pleased if we never used the phrase booking committee ever again on the show. When I say booking committee, I mean, uh, boy, the, the, the parts are interchangeable. Artistic director for What Happened When Mondays, Dave Silva. You know what? Tony always mentioning the booking committee or blaming certain terrible decisions that WCW made on the booking committee. I can't really get upset or blame Tony or roll my eyes. Because Tony wasn't in those decision-making meetings. Now, I understand what it's like to stand on the outside as managers make decisions. And you might not always agree with them, but they are the managers. And they get paid to make those decisions. So, in Tony's case, it was the booking committee. So, it refers to a terrible idea of, well, that's what the booking committee wanted to do. So, I was a company man and I was ES man and I had to go with it. I understand where he's coming from. Or I don't know. Or I don't know. The I don't knows. I don't know means I don't know. Of course, Tony's a professional broadcaster. So in radio, you've, you've got to sort of filibuster sometimes, you know, and he's been doing radio for a long time. So he knows better than to just say no. There is a, uh, there's a thought about that I was involved in every facet of the decision-making of WCW. But instead of saying you know, I don't know, but I do remember, or I'm not quite sure, but I do recall. He would just say, I don't know, probably the booking committee. I'm, I'm honored that people would think that, but I was at, at many times just an announcer. And it became very much an investigation, an interrogation. I didn't hang out in the background uh, or in the dressing room with the guy, so I didn't always know what they were talking about. And many times I didn't give a shit. As opposed to, hey, we're trying to be entertaining. So if you don't care about rumors and innuendo back then, you, you don't know. So when I say I don't know, it's mostly that I wasn't involved in that decision making. Doodootrucking.com CEO, Jeffrey Jewett. I don't know. Sure, he could make something up, but whatever. It is what it is. Sorry to disappoint people. I just wasn't. Eventually that clicked with Tony to where he turned it all the way to 11. I mean, he broke the damn knob off, but it took a while to get there. But now that I'm thinking about it, why don't we have a shirt that just says booking committee? Let me fire off an email to pro wrestling. Tees here. 
As Tony got more comfortable and Conrad kept adjusting, things started to loosen up a little bit and some themes emerged. And one subject in particular seemed to break the ice for all things outrageous. The Klondike Bill thing sort of caught me by surprise. I wasn't very familiar with Klondike Bill. I'd heard the name. I knew he made the War Games cage. I knew he helped put up the ring. I was trying to remember some stories because that's kind of what's important. The stories that you remember or, in, in my case, forget. And I just remember that uh, one of the first people that I met in pro wrestling. But I did not know that uh, he was the world's most famous pervert or was about to become one of those. Uh, it totally caught me off guard. And whenever our listeners were hearing that story about parking lot panties and all the other silliness, glass bottom boat rides, I'm hearing it for the very first time. We, we never discussed any of that off air. Uh, and so I just, I remembered the crazy stories that he told me. So I thought, Hey, it's, it's a podcast. It's, it's worth it. And the, uh, the response and, and, and we get our feedback mostly on social media response was, was overwhelming because he was a lovable, funny, uh, crazy old perverted guy <laughs> just uh so that was an incredible response episode five the great american bash 1988 who made the cage do you remember yeah that was made by klondike bill tell us about klondike bill At, uh, Cl- <laughs> real stories about klondike bill whatever you got okay uh now i'm not going to say it to sully up the memory of the uh, of a great man uh, I don't know shit about Klondike Bill. Is this is was this the the prop guy for you guys? He was the magician. He was who the made ring it guy. All happen? Okay, uh, Klondike could do anything. Could absolutely do anything. And uh, he was. Uh, I set up rings with him for a couple of years, or for one year, let's say, while I was doing baseball, I would set up rings with Klondike, and uh, I got to know him very well. Everybody who knew Klondike Bill absolutely loved him. Absolutely loved him. He was a an icon in our business. Trained by Stu Hart. Uh, went through the dungeon in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, born back in 31. Passed away in 2000. Yeah, while, while we were in, uh, while we were in um, Australia. Uh, hired uh, during the 70s by Jim Crockett to build guardrails and rings for Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Right. And then was even... Uh, an agent for world championship wrestling. Yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. But his name, I mean, his, his claim to fame was not really what he did in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. He got, I, I don't know if I could say this word, but I'm going to say it. Okay. Do you mind? Go ahead. Klondike got more pussy than anybody else. How? I have no idea. I don't I, because I don't think he discriminated. Oh, I see. Yeah, uh, the, regardless, the, regardless of how they looked or what size or whatever. Yeah, there's a phrase um, uh, in the South. He don't call nothing. <laughs> That's it. So he didn't call anything. Uh, yeah. So there you go. And he would tell. He would tell us some great stories. All some right. great stories. <laughs> <laughs> see, this is what people want to hear. Con- Should I tell a story? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. All right. 
he was saying one time he had this girl at <laughs> God bless. This is the shit I'm right gonna, here. Somebody goes strike my ass dead. Some lightning is going to come down here tonight. Strike my ass dead. Anyway, Klondike said he said that one time he had this girl. And he said she was just crazy and she couldn't. I couldn't satisfy her. Nothing I would do to satisfy her. And she was like crazy. He said so. I went to the refrigerator and I got out this Polish kibasi. I said. You got to be kidding me. He said, no. And I took it and I ran it underneath the, uh, the hot water and I got it all limbered up and everything. And he said, and I would, I went at her with that Polish kibasi back and forth and she still, she still didn't get enough. And finally we just both fell asleep. I said, well, what'd you do the next morning? He said, well, I cut up the Polish kibasi and we served it with eggs. <laughs> that was Klondike Bill. Oh my God. That was Klondike Bill. He had all these great stories. I hate that I never got to meet this guy. Oh, man. Talk I hope you enjoy your next Polish kibasa. Yeah, I feel like there's a shirt coming out of this. Uh, <laughs> when did Don't you dare <laughs> put Klondike Bill's name on it. Episode 6, Diamond Dallas Page. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Bob, it's another week with us, Conrad. How you doing, bud? Man, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about all things Diamond Dallas Page. But before we do, do you have any loose ends from last week's show? It was the Great American Bash 1988. Uh, I got a lot of great feedback from this. How about you? Well, what do you want? Another Klondike Bill story? Is that what you're fishing for here? Man, I can't believe the popularity. Is this the most Klondike Bill has been talked about in the history of the Internet, you think? Yeah, it probably is. Uh, he was talked a lot about uh, in the backstage area. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it probably is. Uh, a great man. Anybody who knew him loved him uh, and looked upon him like, boy, he's a sick old fuck, too. Which, I don't know, when, when it's all said and done with me, I don't know if I'm going to be known as that or not, but uh, oh, well. one more Klo- one more Klondike Bill story, if you will. Yeah, let's do okay. it. Uh, Klondike Bill and I had come back from uh, Florence, South Carolina, uh, and he dropped me off at Old Crockett Park, where is uh, where the uh, where we had the the ball team, and uh, he and I talked about women and porn. And all the degenerate shit that we could talk about on a three-hour trip up and back. Three hours down, three hours back. <laughs> and I really got him going. He said, oh, he would say, man, I just, oh, boy, I just. And so we stopped. We even stopped at, like, this this old convenience store and picked up, like, this nudie magazine. And he was driving his old pickup, and I was on the passenger side. I said, look at this, Bill. Oh, my gosh. He would, he would look. He would go, oh, my God. I, he was just, just going crazy. So when we pulled in that night after after all that crazy talk that we had and talking about women and talking about all the degenerate things that two guys talk about on their own, uh, we pulled up and he let me out. And there happened to be a pair of women's panties in the parking lot. Oh. A pair of women's panties in the parking lot. So he took those panties, wadded them up, put them in his mouth and chewed them up. And that was Klondike Bill. Are you being real right now? What's that? This is a real fucking story. It is a story. Oh, my God. He put him in his mouth. He chewed him up. He said, nom, nom, nom. Oh, nom, nom. how about that? Oh, nom, nom. And I said, Bill, 
you are a sick fuck, buddy. And that's why we loved him. That was one of the things he did. I've got some more stories, but I, I thought I'd just piecemeal that one out. So he, uh, Tony, the show's over. Uh, wrap us up. Uh, well, okay. That was a high point right there. <laughs> yeah. It's all fucking downhill from here. Bill's uh, oh. got the panties in his mouth. We got to go. It's the best. Like it's the best. That is the greatest story in the history of our great sport. It was a girl's panties. It could have been. Now, we're talking the mid-80s now. Uh, a lot of Bush was in there. Actually. A lot of Bush was, was in there. In the parking lot, like at 3 a.m., and he reached down and saw him and picked him up and put him in his mouth and chewed him up like they were gum. Could have been. I mean, you know, who knows? And so is that how you met Lois? Well, no, I met Lois at outside at a, uh, a she was standing out in the Seven Eleven out in front under a sign that said hot to go. There you go. So uh, thank you very much. I'll be here all the week. Try, uh, try the veal tip the waitress. <laughs> That's right. You know, I just figured out something. You're kind of a degenerate yourself. Kind you know? of. Oh, I'm... oh, yeah. You play the straight man here, but you are always pushing us. <laughs> To say this shit, okay? Us. I love so that you're lumping yourself in. Us. <laughs> so don't go pointing the finger at me. Episode 7, The Last WCW Monday Nitro. Was Klondike Bill at the last Nitro? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he was. If he was, what might he have said about those Nitro girls? He probably would have said, uh, knowing Bill... He probably would have said, I don't care about seeing them naked. I just like to collect their panties after they do their routines and probably would wear them on his head. Uh, Okay, let's get to it. You know, I asked Bill one time, I said, Bill, what would happen if you were with a girl? I used to try to get him all fired up. I said, what would happen? I, I, I know I've told you this. What would happen if you were with a girl and she was completely clean, had no body odor or anything about her. He said, I'd go tell her to put some sweats on and run about two miles and then come back and see me. That was Klondike Bill. He liked the, the dirt. He liked the smell. Yeah. The, the dirtier, the, it, it's just, that's the way he was. He liked the bodily fluids and smell. My God. Yeah, I mean, I have, my God is right. It's just, there was no, there's, I don't think there's ever been a man like him ever. If there was, he was never <laughs> out front about it like Bill was with his friends. Go get your uh, Klondike shirt right now, ProWrestlingTees.com <laughs> forward slash WHW. What okay. would you do for Klondike Bill? Thanks to Klondike Bill, the ice was broken. Tony got comfortable, and on the next few episodes, certain fun themes came up over and over again. Again, Stacy Keeler was a sweetheart of a person. <laughs> she, was, she was so nice. Who was nicer, her or Deborah? <laughs> see, see, I knew you were going to say that. Uh, Stacy had the nicest, longest legs that I'd ever seen. Her legs were long and lean. I don't know where we're going here. But I got to I got to know the Nitro Girls. Uh, Fire and uh, Spice and all those girls. Just kind of hanging out in the makeup department in the back. I would just kind of sit there and they would... Uh, oh, my have, God. They, 
<laughs> you know people are hearing this. People are hearing that you've been a perv since the late 90s. No, not a perv. For the longest period of time, Terry Boatwright right. was our makeup girl. And Terry and I were good friends. Terry Boatwright, her stage name was Mar- uh, Marlena Goldust's wife. Goldust. Terry, and Terry that was Reynolds. a shoot. She was Goldust's he, wife. Yeah. And so I would sit back in, in, the, in the makeup room and talk to the makeup artists back then because, you know, we had a lot of time on our hands and the nitro girls would come back and get their makeup on and I would just kind of sit back there and talk to them and I would have my makeup put on. Don't look at me like that. I got to know the, I got to know the nitro girls very, very well. I'm sure you did. And I got to know, I got to know and I remember coming out of my room and seeing uh, one of the nitro girls uh, coming out of a hotel room and thinking that was awfully odd to see them there. And I was just wondering if maybe that some of the Nitro girls were, I don't know, jockeying for a job, were there to meet the WWE guys. Jockeying for a job is a great way to turn a phrase. I know what you're thinking. That's not what I meant. For this, I remember a girl uh, back in the Crockett days, good looking. Her name was Dark Journey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whatever happened to her? Uh, she was like smoking hot. In a very exotic way. I have a fun story. I'll have to tell you when we're not recording. Really? Um, wow. <laughs> uh, Terry Boatwright was a friend of mine. and only Of course she is. Stop it. Terry Boatwright was a close friend of mine. I'm sure she was. Okay, that everybody thought I was having sex with, and I wasn't. Okay? I remember talking to Terry. I did our makeup. I said... Why don't you and I get together and discuss what what it can be? And we came up with a casting couch. No, no, we didn't I'm, go with you, son, bitch. I'm gonna run this company someday, sugar. <laughs> you know what's good for you. And I ain't gonna run it in the ground, baby. No, she was good looking. How do you feel about water buffaloes? I can shampoo <laughs> one. You. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch! So your idea was to go out and have wine weather. No. And figure out what she was into and then say, that's great. No. I'll put you with Dutch. No, that was not it at all. You are, at many times, you're a no good motherfucker. Many times. Thank you. I resemble that remark. You're welcome. I just, and I love Medusa. Absolutely loved her. And I sent her a tweet and I said, I love those, uh, I love, or send her a text. I said, I love those tweets. Uh, and she just sent me a smiley face and nothing happened between Medusa and I with the exception of. We have been always been very close friends. And let me say this. I think I, I saw her at uh, WrestleCon. She looked great. Absolutely looked great. It was great seeing her. And he's got Lady Blossom with us. And that's worth the price of it. I need you to tell me I, a little I, bit off. I knew you were going to lead me into that. Yeah. Yeah, nice lady. Mega, massive boobs. <laughs> massive. Okay. And you couldn't help but notice it. Let me, ask, let me ask you a question. <laughs> You know what you're trying to do to I've been married almost 36 years. Listen, you're trying to fuck that over is what you're trying to do. Do you think there's no chance Lois Shivani, A, is awake right now, and B, Whether even listen to is listening to yeah, this. You know, she's cooking Blue Apron and watching Young and the Restless. She's not fucking with this okay. podcast. Okay. You're right. Um, I've noticed a trend here. All right. You loved Ever McMichael. Yes. Really enjoy Lady Blossom. Yes. You and Steve Austin have a lot in common. Well, I mean, you, some of the things that Lady Blossom put on or failed to put on 
when those big matches were pretty revealing, don't you think? Uh, I don't have a comment. Okay. Uh, what are they doing? What what's, what's the Divas doing now in WWE? What are, what are they? One of them is Ric Flair's daughter. What's that? One of them is Ric Flair's daughter. Well, I daughter. understand that one of them is Ric Flair's daughter. But a lot of them are just very voluptuous women, would you say? I'm sure they're all very nice ladies. Well, of course they are. I love Medusa. Medusa and I have been longtime friends. Medusa and I, uh, when we were on the road, we went to dinner together, went to movies together, hung oh. out. And it, and it goes back. I see. Mm. <laughs> that got your eyebrows up in the air, didn't it? Mm. Uh, uh, we were just very good friends. And uh, it's like I told you in an uh, earlier segment, I've always been friends with females. And it's not that I was trying to hit on girls. And it's not a Tony Schiavone is a gay thing, which you're trying to also present out there with this Tom Dink, Zink stuff. And, you know, Tom Zink was a good looking guy, right? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you, if you had a crush on a guy, wouldn't Tom Zink be a guy you'd have a crush on? Okay, I don't know what we're going to cover uh, on the actual card, but Tommy Rich is tagging with Ricky Morton on the show uh, How here. come we're moving on to something else? Well. So here's what here's <laughs> where I'm going with this, okay? Ben Ray Mysterio Jr., because as I had mentioned last week, once he took the mask off, he was kind of cute. All right, in the next match, we've got Alex Ryan retaining <laughs> as he tries to move on to something else. Tom Zink's a good-looking guy, and if I'm Tom Zink back then, I'm going to take full advantage of me being a good-looking guy. So, did he chew parking lot panties? Did he use a kielbasa and eggs? Uh, probably someone like the Z-Man didn't need to. Klondike did. He needed to. Because he was a big old burly Canadian guy. Tom Zink was tanned and a great mullet haircut and looked, looked the part. How great does, did Scott Hall look in this? He looks great every time he ever had a match. Tremendous. Uh, I, mean, I feel like he's like the the, the prototype for a wrestler. I, I, I'm talking about the body. I mean, he just, he looked the part, man. Now, were you more excited by him or Z-Man? Because Z-Man's in the same match. I led you into that. Thank you. you know? But are you trying to infer that I have a man crush on Tom Zink? Is that what you've been trying to infer the last couple of weeks? Well, I'm not inferring it. You're saying it. No, I'm not uh, saying it. Out loud I, you, for hundreds of thousands of people I, I can't say that a guy is a nice-looking man. You just said that about Eric Bischoff 20 okay. minutes ago. Right. It's so, fine. There was, okay. a, there was a sign in the crowd that they shoot here that says, the number one stud is Z-Man. Did you make that sign for that lady? I did not. Okay. But I would have not in my head. But then when I take a look at Scott Hall, I'm thinking, you know, Scott Hall is very attractive in a very exotic European sense. Uh, I thought Alex Wright was a very handsome young man. Uh, they had a great match. I thought Alex was very, was vastly over. <laughs> Why'd you go? Mm. I was clearing my throat. I'm sorry. Okay. I thought. Well, I mean, you're talking about how attractive uh, Tom Zink is here. I'm getting a little uncomfortable. Okay. He was. He was a good looking guy. And <laughs> I think if. Uh, a guy like him could have... What, you think a guy like him could fall in love with a girl like you? I mean, do you think that's possible? <laughs> and a couple other subjects came up more than once as well. We didn't have the experience or the publicity and merchandising as the WWF had. And that was one of our uh, one of our weaknesses, one of our main weaknesses right there. Nor do we have the staff. 
Mm. Uh, the debut of Thunder was that mm-hmm. very Thursday. And in the main event, Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, around, yeah. Thunder, around. Thunder 1-8-1998. Remember that date, fans. Remember that date. Is that when it was all over? That's when it, That's when the big slide began. That's when it began right there. I mean, you're letting guys like, I, I don't know who Jim Weiss is. Uh, I, I'm not so sure where uh, Brad Siegel falls in all this, although Brad was good to me. But you got Jamie Kellner. How can a guy like Jamie Kellner be considered an executive when he lets all this money slip away? When he did not have enough vision to know where the the TV business would be in all these years down the road. Just blows me away. I mean, forget about closing WCW. Talk about how much money the library is worth. How much money the library is worth. Uh, So let's run through this. Vince has said that Siegel asked to simul... When he asked Siegel to simulcast, he was really surprised that Siegel agreed to it so easily. Was that shocking to you that the simulcast was approved? No, not at all. Again, you know, Vince was in a war against dumb fucks. Yeah. Okay, and there's just another dumb fuck right there saying, yeah, go ahead. Triple H gets credit for that idea, and of course Vince pushed the envelope. Uh, Showed up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I drove down from Atlanta to Fayetteville, North Carolina to talk to Kevin Dunn face-to-face. And Kevin said, how old are you now? I said, well, I was 40-something back in then. And he said, okay, you're not as old as I thought you were. <laughs> he said, I'll call you. And he never called me. And first of all, called Vince's office and uh, was told I needed to contact Kevin Dunn which I tried to, and Kevin Dunn's secretary at that time was a girl named Sue, and she said, Kevin's going to call you back. He never did. And I would call again. He never did. And I would call again, and he never did. To the point to where I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting the message here. So I contacted I contacted Triple H. I contacted uh, Vince's office and told them, I'd like to be. I'd like you to consider me a producer of the WWE Network because that's what I want to do. I want to go just go through all that old footage, build television shows, come up with ideas about new television shows and new ideas of how we can do things. I said I want to work for the network. I want to build shows. He said, "Well, we certainly are looking for people to do that." And then he said, "I'll call, I'll call you. you." And he's never called me since. Triple H became. Uh, Obviously, a, a, uh, one of the great stars of all time. And he was smart enough to marry into the uh, McMahon family. Not a bad move, my friend. A tremendous move. Absolutely. I mean, and uh, and he had his picture at the White House with the president recently. But right? You, but you remembered, uh, or at least in your perspective, um, he was a good dude. Oh, my God. I remember at uh, we were at center stage, and it was early, and he was sitting up in, in one of the seats, and he was talking to Pinter. And Pinter said, come up here. I want you to meet him. And I went up there and sat with he and Pinter. We had a great conversation. And I remember thinking, this is a hell of a guy. This guy is not only a, a nice guy, but he's really sharp about the business. And he was, he was uh, a really a personable guy. Uh, so I, I knew he had a lot on the ball. And uh, I enjoyed talking to him. A lot. He didn't return my phone call last year. 
but uh, I enjoy talking to him a lot. Who would? I mean, you know. Who would? Yeah. Well, you you would, motherfucker, wouldn't you? If I call you? Oh, of course. Well, there you go. But, I mean, I know when you call me, you're not going to be begging for a job. I mean, it's... Well, I wasn't begging... All right. All right. I was begging for a job. But it wasn't an announcing job. I want to make that clear. Okay? I was begging for a job. And you know why I don't need an announcing job anymore? Why is that, Tony? Because I got this fucking podcast. Roll time! Because I got you, son of a bitch. Okay? WCW planted the name of Steve Kern in the dirt sheets... Well, I mean, that's certainly what the torch would have you believe. Oh, yeah. Well, um, there you go. That I probably would have been less criticized by Dave Meltzer had I called him after every fucking event like a lot of guys did. Oh. It's true. It's absolutely true. Mark Madden, later on in the years, even told me, Mark Madden said, you know, it's it's probably true that if you call Dave and talk to him, he won't be as shitty towards you. And I said, well, let's hear for journalism. Uh, so... That's my response to that. And I did call Dave twice. Twice throughout my years. And what uh, what'd you call him for? Well, one time I was drunk. I don't know why I ended up calling him. Second time I called him was when I left WWF and came back to WCW. I did not, in the dirt sheets, want some sort of bullshit rumor floating out there. So I called Dave and said, Dave, I'm leaving, and here's why. And he put it in there exactly as I told him, in fairness to him. Uh, I'm just curious. Why does one drunk dial Dave Meltzer? I don't know. I was so drunk I couldn't even tell you. I don't even know how I got the number. Well, but I knew I, I knew I was drunk. Did you ever hear what you talked about with him? Because clearly you don't remember. I don't remember. No, I don't remember. Twice I called him. It's amazing. Yeah. M- maybe whatever you should've, said. I should have called him more times, right? Well, I'm just wondering if what you said when you were drunk is what pissed him off so bad. And so then he just shit on your commentary for the rest of your No, career. no, no, no. He wouldn't He wouldn't have been like, look, it's human nature. It's human nature. If you're friendly with a guy, he's going to be a little bit more fair to you when he writes or when he talks about you. I understand that. But I didn't like to play that game. I, you know, I, I really, I, I really, there was a part of me back then because of, of growing up in it and loving it and being a, a fan of it and being told by Jimmy Crockett, what you see here stays here. There was a part to me that resented all the dirt sheets and resented uh, them trying to expose the business. I thought they were exposing the business. There was a lot of people that really didn't look at it. They looked at it like Dave Meltzer could help their career. Right. We sometimes take what fans write to the torch and say is the gospel. Well, he says I'm, I'm, I'm saying bullshit to some of that. Okay, I got you, Bruce. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Fuck Dave Meltzer. Because I would never call through magic. Just stick my nose up his ass. Fuck Dave Meltzer. And I will step out and you can do the commentary. Fuck Dave Meltzer. Real jack-off named Steve Beverly. I don't even know what happened to happen to him. Fuck Dave Meltzer. Because I didn't do enough of the uh, Japanese-style wrestling that Dave Meltzer whacks off to. Maybe we should have had in the middle of that match Fuck Dave Meltzer. Dean Malenko and Psychosis do a run-in and do a couple of fucking holes in the middle while all six of them looked on the outside and me stumbled over not being able to call the match that Dave Meltzer would have wanted for fucking Japan. How about that? Maybe we should have done that and that would have helped the match. Or maybe we would have Malenko and Psychosis wait until 
uh, fucking Ultimo, Ultimate Dragon came running in with Rey Mysterio without the mask so we could see him looking <laughs> handsome and they do a couple of fucking high spots, then fucking leave. Then Meltzer could jack off for a couple of minutes and we could get back to the uh, six guys in the ring having their match, which had a fucking good finish, by the way. Fuck Dave Meltzer. <laughs> Hey guys, did you put Christmas on a credit card? Maybe overdo some holiday spending? It was written recently that this Christmas, American families spent more than ever on Christmas, and a lot of families are putting on average around $1,000 on their credit cards. A study recently showed that the average American family is going to take about five months to pay that credit card debt back. But SaveWithBruce.com is here to make life a little easier. We're going to get you a better mortgage. We're talking a better interest rate and show you how to pay your house off faster. But best of all, a cheaper monthly payment. We're also going to help you knock out all of your credit card debt. Don't get stuck making minimum payments and don't wait and make a resolution to save money. Do it with a couple of clicks right now. Get rid of all your credit card debt and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. 10 minutes is all it takes to get all the information you need about how to get a cheaper monthly payment and skip your next two house payments. If you haven't already, you don't have to make your January or your February payment. You're done until March 1st. So let's recap, skip a couple of payments, get a cheaper monthly payment and get rid of all your credit card debt. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you right now. Go to savewithbruce.com. That's savewithbruce.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Chapter 2, Personalities and Watch-Alongs. As the show started catching its stride, Conrad, and believe it or not, Tony, actually started to have a little fun. Somewhere in in Chicago, and David uh, went to the front desk, and I held up Arn Anderson at, behind a plant so they wouldn't see how drunk he was. Okay? <laughs> So, so, so David and I took him, got him, staggered him, drug him to the hook, to the uh, elevator, went upstairs to his room. This is like, opened. this is like weekend at Bernie's right now. Yeah, Just, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We have, we have the enforcer who right now is a dead body. Okay. We open up the hotel room, literally do this. I, we open up the door, prop the door open and throw him in the bed and close the door and leave. He wakes up in a hotel room. He doesn't know where the hell he is. He has no idea what's going on. So the only person he knows to call the general, as Ric Flair would call him, was a friend of everybody's. He called his office, and he said, put the general on. And she said, I'm sorry. He's in the media. He said, I don't give a shit. I'm in a room. I don't know where the fuck I am. Tell him it's double A. There's my weekend at Bernie's Arn Anderson store. That's going to be hard to make up. If you have not seen a vertebraker, I encourage you to throw it in your Google machine. It's a move that you probably need to see to believe. Uh, it was a revolutionary move, and it looks dangerous as shit. What did you think of the vertebraker, Tony? It looks dangerous as shit. From episode one, it sounds a lot happier, a whole lot more content. Um, the wizard was Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Uh, he, we just talked a little bit about him earlier, that he's one of the great booking minds ever. Did, did, he, did he have the, the monkey with him? No, he'd already killed the monkey by this point. We'll talk about that on the show. <laughs> uh, the monkey. 
Where's the fucking reels? Oh god. He didn't kill the monkey the same way that Tom Z Tom Zink was. Tom Zink was killing the monkey right here at 91. <laughs> the monkey almost killed himself that first time. <laughs> monkey suicide. Oh god damn. Uh <laughs> oh, I'm gonna fucking <laughs> Tony's attitude is changing towards the industry. I've been diagnosed ADD, adult ADD. And he put me on the drug called Silence. And it would, I would be so, so focused on these shows. But I, I could tell I was on speed that night because I was hyped up, buddy. This is like an after school special right now. <laughs> I was not ready for. You know, a drug PSA. Tony's excited about wrestling in general. And I guess this is Kevin Nash trying to play Sting here. What the fuck is this? If they tell me it's the real Sting, and I got to say it's the real Sting, I got to say it's the real Sting. I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to say, that can't be the fucking Sting, guys, but I'm going with it. (laughs) I'm going with it. You, you know, you go with it, too. Come on with me. Let's all go. Yeah, what the fuck was this was going through my mind during the entire time there. He seems like he's much more comfortable. Of a Medusa on the pole match. It's Klondike Bill and Conrad Thompson going out at the center of the ring. Woo, there's a belly bump. Arn Anderson locks eyes and says, Tony, you apparently have enough coming you to shampoo a buffalo. It's a stare down between Conrad and Holy Dangerously. But all of a sudden, in from the side, here comes Ric Flair. He is back. They uh, duct taped uh, uh, Chip Burnham's hands behind him and pulled out his pants and stuck a couple Sharpies up his ass. Here comes Tony Schiavone with a chair and in tow. Here come the Nitro Girls. Here's Stacey Keebler. Here is Shay. Oh, my goodness. Here is Spice. And here comes Dedra. Can I say this? I am having more fun in wrestling than I've ever had before. <laughs> and we're having and we're talking fun. through all those years of WCW, Jim Crockett Promotions, one year at the WWE. I'm just having more fun than I've ever had. Giovanni's got a chair. Wait a minute. The curtain opens. It's Klondike, Bill. I know Klondike's grandson, Christopher, is listening. Christopher, I'm sorry about this. This was your granddad, and this is the way we loved him. Klondike, we used to always rub that scraggly old gray beard of his, and he would say, Tony, he said, you know what to me would be the greatest thing that I could have happen to me? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I would, yeah, like that in my mind, I would go, oh, God. He said, I would like to get underneath a coffee table, a oh, glass coffee no, table. No, Oh, yeah. No. I'd like to get under a glass coffee table and have a girl just straddle that coffee table and shit and piss all over the table so I could see it. And uh, there would be a stunned silence on my part to where I say, bullshit, that's happened to you, hasn't it? And he said, no, I said, bullshit, it's happened to you. You've had a, a, a one or two women do that. And he would smile and that would be it. But he would hit me with that periodically through the years. Tony, rub that beard. You know what I'd like to see? Just a girl. I would just go underneath that table and look up and see her. Just <laughs> Tony. <laughs> oh, God, that guy was... That guy was incredible. I can't believe of all That's the, what, of all the yeah. things. Yeah, I just it. Look, 
you, that would have to have happened to you for you to come up with it. You can't just come up with that in your sick mind. Can you? No, it's a thing actually. It um, is. Yeah. Oh, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And if I were a betting man, I would say within the next two calendar weeks, we will have Klondike bill glass bottom boat ride tours mm-hmm. as a shirt that's available at pro wrestling forward slash WHW. You know, the decision to do the first watch along was really just based on Halloween Havoc 92 because of how wrestle crap that coal miners glove match was with Jake having to pretend that the snake attacked him and just all the silliness. And that really was like, man, we should do this. So we decided to do it a little bit here and there. I got to say, the watch alongs are a hit. My favorite episode is Halloween Havoc 92 because of Tony's play-by-play during the Sting and Jake Roberts match. It was instant gold. Episode 11, Halloween Havoc 1992. Well, there we take a look at the glove on top of the pole. How fucking tall is that pole anyway? Holy shit. Hell, and look at those two cocksuckers at ringside. Jim Ross and Jesse the Body Ventura. And look at the kids. Look, uh, Wow. What a great match this is going to be, Conrad. I'm so glad you could set your fat ass down here with me and call this action because we are getting ready to go with this coal miners glove match. Now, let's let's uh, let everybody know the rules once again. You got to go up the pole. Good fucking luck on that. You got to grab the glove and then you can use the glove to win the match. How- As you can see, the, the match has or the pole. The glove has something around it. And I guess that's to break the coal up. I guess people from West Virginia would know that. I don't know that. That pole's got to be 20 foot in the air. There is no way anybody's going to look at that. There's no way anybody's going to get up that goddamn pole. Ooh, Jake the Snake Roberts has made his way in from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Man, look how pissed he looks. How much did I give up in WWE merchant fucking dice? Holy shit. (laughs) And Jake the Snake Roberts. It's funny. Jim Ross had said during the course of this, uh, Conrad, that, uh, that, uh, and I laughed about this. The fact that we have have anti-Cobra venom at ringside. What does he not have on him right now, Tony? He does not have his snake on him right now, right? <laughs> well, he might have his snake, but he doesn't have the one in a bag on him. And uh, That's right. And, and Jesse's wondering where the snake is. And now we await the arrival of Sting. And as you can see, we have a capacity crowd here at Philadelphia Civic Center. It's so full, we're not having the lights on them. Everything's in the dark. You can only see the people at ringside. And through the slap dicks comes Sting. <laughs> and... Uh, here's here's what I want to say about this. I hope Sting sells this match as well as he sold the wheel coming to the floor. Because if you'll recall, when the wheel rose the floor, he sold that like he was scared to death of a fucking wheel. Yeah, Sting. <laughs> All right. That guy doesn't want to be here. Yeah, fuck you. Let's look at that. Walk away. Told the camera get out of his face. Only in Philadelphia. Now, again, this is a non-sanctioned match, which means it's not sanctioned by the NWA, they though did sanction the Rick Rude and uh, uh, debacle that we saw moments ago. But uh, what the fuck is Jack Tucker talking about here? Oh, is he's he calling spots? Him. He's going right Shit. up the road. He's going right. He, no, he wants to get out. He's trying to get back to New York. 
He's trying to get back to the WWE, and Sting won't let him. He's got him up. Oh, my God. Match over. No, Jake's getting back up. Whew. I thought for sure he was going back and catching a flight to Stanford, Connecticut. But nope, uh, Jake is back up. Sting is going to try to go to the poll. Can you believe how big this poll is? Klondike Bill, by the way, constructed this poll. He put this poll up, and I'll bet you that nobody in the front office told him how high or how low to put the poll. I can't believe anybody's going to get up the poll, but here we go again. A collar and elbow tie-up. See, I know the holds as well. Oh, he missed. And what is he trying to do, cover up here? Sting took this seriously. He, he really did. I, I think the reason Sting took it seriously is that he knew a snake would be involved. And I don't know about you, Conrad, but anytime there's a fucking snake, I'm scared to death. Jake the Snake Roberts up against the ropes. A whip in. Sting with a right hand and down goes Jake. Boy, Jake had the look, man. But not going towards the pole. Now, I don't understand why he went at first to try to go for the glove, and now he didn't try it right there. Maybe it's because when he got to the pole, he realized how fucking high up in the air it was. So now side headlock. As you can tell, the fans here in Philadelphia are kind of sitting on their hands right now. Uh, they have just seen two shitty world title matches, so why not stay on your hands for the main event? Oh, get your cold drinks. Staying up high. Oh, he missed a drop kick. And Jake drives a knee into the back. Conrad, are you going to commentate this match with me, or is it just going to be fucking me? What I found interesting about this uh, setup here, Tony, is that it yep. appears as if the ring is crooked. Uh, the camera but, is not shooting directly over into the ring. It almost feels right. like the ring is not angled correctly, or maybe the camera is not. Your two no. cents here? Yeah, the ring looks kind of cockeyed, right? Kind of looks left to right like it's going downhill there. Yeah. Uh, I had been at some events in Cincinnati where the ring actually broke. So the ring, oh, over the top. No pads around the floor here. That can't yeah. feel good. Tough guys in WCW. Now they go to the real, to the ring post. And Jake the Snake is selling the arm now. Where in the hell is Sting going? Going to the pole? No, he comes back through. I think Sting got lost there, don't you? Oh, and he pulls and pulls Jake again to the ring post one more time. Well, Jake's going to have to sell this the rest of the match as he hits that ring post. And now Sting, Sting should have a free shot here to get the uh, to get the glove, don't you think? Well, here comes Jake back in. Sting, way up top, reaching for it. He grabs him by the ass. He's got him. Oh, and he drops him down again. No coal miner's glove yet. A pickup. Belly-to-back suplex. God, I forgot how shitty these matches were to call. Hypothetically speaking, Tony, um, who would be your favorite two performers to see in a pole match, climb a pole like this? And why is it Medusa and Deborah? Uh, just because I love Medusa and Deborah, And I would, I know what you're trying to, you're trying to make me a, an old horny motherfucker, but you're wrong. And they pull on the arm again. Sting working the arm. This is one of the things I liked about Jake the Snake. He had the great look, great talk, but the guy could sell as well. And I know what you're saying out there. Shivani is always big into selling, but doesn't it make the match better? 
It does. And, and there's some logic here in working the same yes. body part the whole time. No question. Sting stomping on the left arm once again, pushing down. Jake staying on the ring and what's Jake the ring mat trying right to get up. Now? What's that? What's Jake thinking about right now? Thinking about, oh man, what the fuck am I doing back here? And how far is it going to take me to get up on the pole? Well, the good news is Sting is probably going to be the one to go up and get the coal miner's glove. But remember, once they get the glove, that doesn't mean the match is over. They they can use it. Remember, now over the top, and that normally would be a disqualification, but remember, this is not sanctioned by WCW. Now Jake is going to go up top. Jake's going to try to scale the pole. Sting grabs Jake by the ass. Oh, Jake the Snake. He, he hit his venom glands. He, <laughs> he sure did. And that is, oh, my goodness. On the turnbuckle, the steel turnbuckle that goes between the pad and the ring post. But look at Jake trying to get up. Jake, well, this is pretty good strategy here, holding on to Sting, knowing where he is. Or is Sting stepping on his head? I can't tell from where we are. Sting goes right back to the shoulder once again. It's amazing to me that Jake the Snake can even get up on his feet after what has happened here. Who's our referee today, Tony? I have no idea. There's the uh, ECW hat guy in the front is row. That, is, yeah, the ECW hat guy's in the front row. Two seats over from Vladimir. Super Vladimir's fan. there. Yeah, Vladimir's been around forever, hasn't he? Jesus. He's as old as I am. And Sting goes right back to the arm. So this guy is the ECW hat guy who's not even watching the fucking match right now? Would you be? Well, I, I would have to because I would be calling it. I mean, Back on the arm once again. There we go. All right. Trying to work on the arm. Remember, this is the main event of Halloween Havoc, an event that started here in Philadelphia and had so much, so much momentum and has completely gone down the shitter from there. <laughs> fans Back are getting into the, it. Barking no, orders yeah. to Jake. They do not yeah. like Jake. No. Fans say, come on, do fucking something. They, were, they just watched a Rick Rude headlock for about 10 minutes, so they want some action. Oh, and out they go. Both men outside. Now, remember once again, non-sanction, no disqualification, anything goes. Watch out. He's got a challenge. Shit, right on the back. That's going to keep Sting down for quite a while, and maybe Jake the Snake can get back into this. The both men are obviously winded. Jake just... Told the referee something. Calling the spot here. What's Gary Michael Capetta doing on a headset outside? Uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. Nothing else to do. No, Gary, they, they tell Gary when to say 10 minutes gone in the match, 20 minutes gone in the match, 30 minutes gone in the match. Okay? I thought Gary was a... Why do we keep shooting that pole? I thought uh, Gary was a very good... Uh, He's choking him, Tony. Oh, my God. What does he have? Wrist tape. Wrist tape? You sure that's not dental floss? It could cut him around the throat, and there's nothing the referee can do here. Nothing at all. If it's not sanctioned, why is the referee trying to stop him? I guess he's trying to, so he doesn't kill me. Oh. I mean, he's going to kind of murder that motherfucker. And the referee now says, okay, (laughs) out of here. So Jake now feels... (laughs) Well, (laughs) since I can't murder the motherfucker. Oh, and he missed the move. Sting just moved out of the way in time. 
And I sometimes I wonder why we that there weren't enough people murdered. And Jake is rolling up on his front side. Uh, once again, this is a match to make Sting a big star. And I, I think Jake is doing a very good job here. Moving out of the way, the Stinger Splash. Now will Jake try to scan the pole? Is that the right word, scan the pole? That would be a, a, a scan would be a kind of a word that we would use uh, here in 2017, but not in 1992. Do you ever have anybody scan your pole? Mm. <laughs> uh, no, not since the 90s. And Jake is now going to go up. Well, God damn it, Jake. Don't talk about it. Go up. Let's go. Still and selling notice, that arm. Yeah, you notice down the lower portion of your screen, there's Bill Apter. Oh, there's the DDT. Big pop the right DDT. there for that. Yeah, big pop. Why? Because the move is over. And that should be it. With the DDT, that should absolutely be it. Jake should be able to go up and get the the glove. But he can't climb if his left arm doesn't work, Tony. Apparently not, but he's going to try. Here comes Sting back. There goes Jake up. Jesus Christ, Sting, get him. He got, oh, he got him. I actually think at this moment in the match that uh, things are looking. What wow. the hell? Oh, <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> was, that <laughs> was that Sting doing a pole dance? Oh, my gosh. What's going on here? Oh, I have no idea. It's Cactus Jack has come out. Oh, my goodness. That's got to be a snake in that bag. This could be the Prince of Darkness match we were talking about earlier. <laughs> That's got to... Oh, there's a fucking there's a, snake. Oh, my God. I hate a fucking snake. Sting's on top of a pole. That's not a sentence you thought you'd hear. He's got the glove on. <laughs> He's got the glove. I'm looking at the snake. That's what she said. And now Jake is trying to get the snake. What? He's kissing the snake. Or What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> he pulled Was that away. a pin? He and do we give a shit? Oh my God! Is that is that snake biting Jake Roberts on the on the face? The referee is running away. Sting saying, "Fuck this shit!" The heck with the coal miner's glove. Jake has got a snake caught onto his jaw. Who came up with this fucking finish? Holy <laughs> shit! It's hooked on Tony. Look at there. There's blood. <laughs> oh my God! And Cactus Jack doesn't even want to have part of it. And it's we really know Cactus, Cactus Jack will do anything. The snake almost dropped off, but Snake pushes it back on. Cactus Jack falls down. There's Klondike Bill. He's, oh, my God. Holy shit. No wonder this thing was minus eight stars or whatever it was. Wait, Give Jake Roberts some credit. He's trying to make this thing work. He's got to get to the that? back, Tony. That anti-venom. <laughs> that we heard about before we ever saw a snake. Oh, holy shit, a moly. Look at Cactus. Cactus says, I want to help you, but fuck that fucking snake. Oh, my God. <laughs> In 2017, would we ever see a snake just get manhandled like this on TV? <laughs> no. No, they will. Oh, and look at Sting. What's he wear? It, it feels like he's about to go do yard work. <laughs> Where are the shovels? <laughs> I mean that's that's what you wear when you when you shovel something and uh, yeah. he just buried WCW exactly so here we got the end of a pay per view Halloween Havoc uh, you always should go out with the fans feeling good about it right about the pay per view 
So let's go to these two fuckers to talk about it, and then we'll go to me with Bruno San Martino to say something. Fuck all. And here we go. All right, let's go to Shivani because Shivani isn't worth a fuck. Okay, there you go, Bruno San Martino. Bruno, I got a question for you. What the fuck am I been doing on this paper? Dude? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Tony. From one whop to the other, I have no fucking idea. Bruno, good to talk to you. I hope you got a big payday out of this. This fucking event sucked. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I would fucking agree. All right. In 2017, years from now, we'll still say it sucked. Let's go back to the ringside area. I think the decision uh, was reached on uh, doing the watch-along shows. Kind of, uh, It kind of evolved. The reaction to the Jake and Sting Halloween Havoc match was tremendous. And a lot of that uh, we have to credit with Chris McDonald because he patched up our audio and the actual video and put together a tremendous clip that we'll make sure we upload over at facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday because that really, seeing it put together is when I thought, man, we got something. If people see this as like a commercial for the podcast, this thing can catch fire. Video genius and good friend of the show, Chris McDonald. Uh, With Tony watching the product, you get more insight into it. Kind of jogs the memory for Tony, I think. And when Tony hits his stride getting into character using impressions, I I think that's great. That's a real treat. Uh, Plus, they, they make for great videos. Episode 12, Halloween Havoc 1993. So here we have Halloween Havoc 1993. Marcus Bagwell, two Colt Scorpio against the Nasty Boys. And one of my favorites of all time, Missy Hyde. I thought Miss, ooh, Lord of mercy. I thought Missy does a great job of playing a scuzzy old nasty girl here. Don't you, Conrad? Uh, I love the way she uh, is portrayed here. And you guys uh, clarify that she is actually, in fact, an escort for the Nasty Boys. And How about that? We might as well have called her a whore, which would have been a bad thing for us to say. Jesse Ventura even says she looks like she'd be right at home at an escort service. Yes, she does. I, I like the gimmick. Love the Nasty Boys. Uh, and, you know, we talked about earlier that the Nasty Boys had uh, – had a great match at a Halloween Havoc a few years earlier against the Steiners. Not so sure they're going to have the same match here. And here comes a, a very handsome Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. You know, I wonder what happened to Two Cold Scorpio after this. And Marcus, boy, Marcus Bagwell looks good, man. Nice look, <laughs> nice looking young man. Oh, shit. Go ahead. Say something about that. What would uh, Jim Barnett think of Marcus Alexander Bagwell? I think he loved him. Oh. I think he absolutely loved him. Marcus uh, from uh, Marietta, Sprayberry High School. So I, I've known Marcus for quite a while. Uh, you know what I find interesting here, Tony, is on one side we've got Missy Hyatt, who is a kayfabe escort. And on the other side, we've got Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who is a shoot escort. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, and Two Cold Scorpio and he have heat now. Uh, apparently, they did a series of shoot interviews against each other in the more recent years about how they both hated with working with one another. Tag team match. Marcus Bagwell and two Colt Scorpio going at it with Teddy Long, their manager. I, I found it odd that Teddy didn't even get announced here by Michael Buffer. Yeah, once again, because of how fucked up WCW is. All right, tag team now. And... Well, you saw this one coming. From the get-go, here they go. Sending both men in and both sending both men down. 
Somebody get Missy off the fucking apron of the ring. Holy shit. But we're going to find out that Missy's on the apron of the ring for a reason. Because she's going to get a little part of Marcus Bagwell. Yeah, ooh. 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 Uh, Missy, I understand, was a good kisser. Uh, which one of the three dozen boys in the locker room told you that? Okay. What's going through Brian Knobs' head right now in real life? In real life? I need a fucking drink. And now the tag, but the referee didn't see it. Absolutely not. And the Nasty Boys, this is some just great tag team work. Oh, great job by Bagwell. And then Bagwell still sells, face first, doing a great job. He's doing his very best Ricky Morton right here. Absolutely. Look at this. Look how he, on his knees, makes the tag. Great hot tag. And here comes the baby face fresh. And he completely fucking missed that as well. (laughs) Jesus. And missed another drop kick. Holy shit. A series of missed moves. And. (laughs) Oh, shit. Try something else, Scorpio. Those things are not fucking working, buddy. Into the corner. That's not a bad one. And now Scorpio's going up top. Moon assault. Oh, I always want to say it like that. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. All four men in the ring and Missy's ass in the camera. Teddy pulling, looking, trying to look up her dress. She's trying to kick him in the dick. And we're, we've got people fighting on either side. We've got Teddy pulling on Missy. Missy's boobs getting ready to fall out. Meanwhile, in the corner of Bigfoot. And here comes Scorpio with his, oh, there goes Missy. There go, here comes Scorpio with his big finish. His big, oh, my goodness. Landed on his knees, but it still looked damn good. But the boot in the head. Referee turns around. Oh, my goodness. And a short-lived tag team championship for two Colt Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. And the Nasty Boys reign once again. The Pretty good. Oh, Missy is down. Let's pick her up. Gently now, boys. Okay, I'm sure she's been in that position before. And she'll be helped out. The Nasty Boys, the world tag team champs, a very skinny Doug Dillinger, who's become a fat ass since then, helps them off. And we have new world tag team champs. Going to take a look at the replay again. Let's go to Conrad. Conrad. We almost get the upskirt that Klondike Bill and Tony Schiavone were looking for. Missy takes a hard bump. Scorpio goes up top. He's top heavy, as you know. 450 splash. He's probably done that with Colonel Robert Parker. But in from behind, the boot to the head. Jerry Sags, the same nasty boy finish we saw over and over and over. Brian Knobs finally gets the drink he needs, and Bagwell is pissed. He didn't get paid for tonight's escort work, and he certainly got fucked. So there we go. Certainly got fucked. I got Tony Schiavone on that one. Episode 13. Bash of the Beach, 1994. Sting in the ring here on WCW Saturday night. He's got the Scorpion Deadlock on the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. It's over. No, apparently it's not fucking over. Wait a minute. We're waiting on an angle. We are. Who the fuck? What the hell? Oh, my goodness. It's a 
It's a fan in the ring. It's a fan in the ring. It's an ugly-ass fan in the ring. And, ooh, raking sting across the yards. Here comes Hulk Hogan. How did that sound? Was that exciting? Here comes Hulk Hogan. He's got the fan up in the air. Worth, you know, uh, you know what I was thinking right at this time? Really? Okay, this is a fan. Where the fuck is security? Where the fuck? Uh-oh. Hulk Hogan is pointing at the fan. <laughs> that is what <laughs> Oh, who the hell is that? It is. Hi, Mr. Ass. Sensational. Sensuous. Whatever you want to call her, Sherry. And Hulk Hogan tears off the shirt to get the Sherry. And Ric Flair comes from behind. Holy shit. You know, Sherry had, uh, for, a, for a girl, had a lot of balls. I have to give her that. May she rest in peace. And Flair now, working on the leg of Hulk Hogan. Sting, selling the eyes. And Mr. T comes in. How much do you think this spot costs us? Mr. T coming in and Flair and Sherry leave the building. Absolutely. I always thought that Lois maybe should do a run-in like this. Say that again. How motivated are you for this match right now? Well, not much. Uh, the, with the exception of uh, I always have a lot of uh, great things to say about Steve Regal. Uh, Lord Steven Regal, anytime he wrestles, I'm pretty excited about it. But would you look at the fucking glitter? Holy shit. Did we overdo the glitter in this or what? I mean, Jesus. this can you, this feels like it is uh, Friday night at the strip club, the amount of <laughs> glitter that's right there. What, yes. what, what's going on right now, Tony? Uh, right now, Johnny B. Oh, Johnny B. Bad grabbed his Johnson, uh, and he's going to go around, see which one, which side wants the, the glitter. And this is kind of, uh, this has kind of got a little sexual overtones here. Don't you think? When you know, he, I, when I watched this, this week, when, I didn't when think he, that when at he all. See, he grabs it and he holds it right there. Notice where he holds it. He holds it kind of, he holds the glitter gun kind of right there. So t- talk right. to me about what he's doing with the shaft here. Okay. He's got the shaft in his right hand. Okay. He wanted to make sure that the sh- <laughs> you're, you're sucker me into this. Want to make sure that the shaft is, is up and now it's up and see, and he's holding it kind of right there. What would Klondike Bill think about Johnny B. Bad going to different corners and shooting okay. his gun off at the crowd, covering oh, he, him in his spray? He would, he would think it'd be great. He'd think it'd be awesome. I wish I could do that at the age I am right now. That's what Bill would say. He would be all for that. And now, so much for the fucking glitter. Let's bring in the man himself, Lord Stephen Regal and Sir William. You know what? I always liked Bill Dundee, even though he's a little sawed-off fucking runt. I really did. He's a good guy. And here is Lord Stephen Regal. No one can display on his face disdain like Stephen Regal. Agree. Yeah. I mean, he was so good at that. Have and you ever seen someone do thumbs down with their whole palm open until right then in your life? <laughs> yeah. You know, that, 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 that motherfucker wearing a tie-dyed Mickey Mouse shirt can't even give a thumbs down properly. He's got his fucking hand out flat pointing down. Like, I don't know yeah. if he's like doing yeah. a, a special wave or what. He was part of Darren Norwich family. He had ringside seats. Mm. Uh, all right, here we go. Lord Steven Regal. My immediately thought of my, and I remember this one. I'm thinking, 
what the hell is all this glitter still doing in the ring? Why can't we get Klondike or someone with a fucking broom to get this stuff out? I, I, I don't understand that. It would have only taken a second. It would, or it would have taken like two minutes, and it wouldn't have hurt this match. Shut up, Johnny. We don't give a fuck about what you're saying in the camera. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, you know, I always, I always, that always bothered me. Uh, because we were talking, and if they were going to say something relevant, I wanted to shut up, and it kind of was kind of awkward at times. Don't you think, for yep. us to be talking? All right, here we go. All right, I'm really excited about working with Heenan, and again, Lord Stephen Regal does that. I <laughs> uh, always like to tell you start that. There you go. Pivot and hook up with Johnny B. Bad. Johnny's showing a lot of... A lot of fire and a lot of vigor here, and they go with a collar and elbow tie-up, and they're back in the corner, and Nick Patrick, with a fresh buzz cut, sends him away. Great reaction by Lord Steven Regal. Uh, I do say I still stay in contact with Regal. Uh, he's one of the funniest men alive, and he uh, still works for the WWE uh, with NXT. Uh, this is a full-arm dragon twist, and Johnny B. Bad reverses it, Flips out of it for no apparent reason except get the fans excited and goes to it again. It's worth mentioning here that uh, Stephen Regal is 26 years old. Is he really? Yeah. He looked looked 33 there to me. Take over and front face lock, side head lock, Lord Stephen Regal. This is for the World Television Championship. And as you can tell now, because it really has to get your attention, there's glitter all over the back of Regal. It looks like if he went home like this after a night at the strip club, uh, he would have to tell his wife that he had been out hunting unicorns because he would have no other excuse to be this covered in glitter. They, nobody would buy, oh, I've been wrestling Johnny B. Bad. No, you haven't. You've yeah. been in the champagne room. <laughs> oh, Great leg trip that time, and Johnny B. Bad comes right back up. You know, I thought this was I, – I, the beginning of this match is really a great contrast in styles, and I think he both wrestlers, wrestlers are doing it. Johnny B. Bad wants to pick up the, atten- uh, the uh, intensity, and Regal wants to wrestle. So I thought both wrestlers did a great, very good job here of trying to get their styles over, and both doing a good job working here. You know, for uh, not being in the business for too long, I thought Johnny B. Bad was a pretty good performer. Well, I think you're the only one. He has fucking struggled every time he grabbed an arm here. Like, he had no fucking idea what he was doing. Well, the, all right, okay, I understand that. But you've got to realize that he's working with a guy who knows how to work. Well, don't get me wrong. He looks great. Okay. His character's awesome. The way he okay. grabbed that shaft and shot the whole crowd with it, that was awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that was tremendous. And see right there. That's look at outstanding. Regal. One. And a reversal. Not a, well, what a bad reversal. Couldn't hook the leg. And now everybody's covered in glitter. So, again, a great job of booking here for me to put someone like Johnny B. Bad in with a oh, guy like Stephen Regal that could work. Absolutely. So yeah. St- Stephen Regal at this point could have a match with Tony Schiavone, and people would think it was good. I wouldn't go that far. Um, chat me up about Johnny B. Bad's hair. I need to know, did WCW pay for him a stylist, or was he in the back with three cans of Aquanet wearing it out himself? <laughs> we had a hairstylist in the back. At least eventually we would. Uh, that would, would give you haircuts and give you uh, hairstyles and make you up and uh, massage your back and your traps a little bit and make oh, you feel good. Oh, gosh. So did you yeah. ever get a happy ending backstage with one of those not, massages? No, no, I did not. 
I did not. Now stop that. Hey, speaking of happy endings, Linda Hogan's front and center. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, and she's got my attention. Yeah. Man, I always thought Linda Hogan was a a very voluptuous woman. Didn't you? Oh, who would deny that? Look at these motherfuckers sweeping. Yeah. That's the high spot for you. You're like, finally, they're out here fucking sweeping. You know, Lois watched some of this event with me, and there you see Heenan and I on camera. And Lois said, boy, you were good looking back then. And I went, damn straight, man. Damn straight. Here's what I find this- interesting. Right over you, you see Anoki, who you're about to honor in the ring. Could we not make sure that we're not shooting him if he's supposed to be the big surprise? He's right there front and center in the fucking shot. I mean, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a big surprise for fans, uh, not a big surprise for smart marks like yourself. What about this Hogan character in the background who went to all the shows in Florida for years and years? It's something he was a, he was a, everywhere. There was there was a couple of people who looked like Hogan in the stands. Absolutely, the, the other guy actually looked more convincing. But this fucking guy, he went to everything in Florida. I know he did. God bless him. Did you ever have a still- conversation with that slab dick? Shit, no. Yeah, do you, uh, I would, I would, you know, give him a high five or whatever, but I would not have a Here conversation. Here we go, Tony. Give us a, give us a play by play of this Anoki segment. Okay. Uh, who in the hell is with Gene Okerlund? Uh, let me say this. We are watching the ring right now, and I understand I'm going to make a lot of Japanese wrestling fans upset with this, but to me, the biggest star in the ring is Gene Okerlund. For sure. Good God, could he talk? Could he sell shit? And it was to the point to where it was like Gene Oakland over the top, but not too over the top to where it was authentic. And, whoa, how about that popcorn fart? Huh? Yay. Antonio Noki. And most people are saying, yeah. Look at Linda Hogan in the background. Oh, she's standing up. Absolutely. But most people are going, yay. I'm sorry, sweetheart. Who the fuck is that in the ring? That's Antonio Noki. Really? Antonio Noki, a Japanese guy with an Italian first name. Okay. <laughs> All right. And here, because we spent $10.45 for this fucking plaque, we're going to present it to you and thank you for being there. And another popcorn part, part of applause. Here, you know what we need right here, uh, Conrad? What's that? Someone, oh, you go get a kiss. We need someone to come in the ring and save this shit. Oh, oh thank God, here he is. Clear <laughs> on his fucking back. Episode seventeen, Halloween Havoc, nineteen ninety-eight. Save fucking something this time, okay? All right, ready. We're gonna tell you to hit play on three, two, one, now. I thought Hogan, and I think right here, take a look at Hollywood Hogan coming into the ring. I thought he had a great look here, a great heel look. Don't you think so? I love the black beard and the blonde mustache. I know it gets criticized a lot, but it's so over the top. It's everything that's right in wrestling. Exactly. Uh, I've always loved Hogan's fingerless gloves here, and he usually finds somebody in the front row who looks out of place, at least from this era of wrestling. Maybe it's an older lady or something like that. And he he has fun with it, which I think is so 70s wrestling. It's everything right about professional wrestling. No question about it. Hollywood Hogan in the ring. And now we take a look back at one of the angles. Oh, where he hit his, his own blood Horace in the head and gave him 11 stitches in the head, in the head. What the, what the hell were we thinking about back then? 
how how much uh, of a waste is the black and white NWO right here when you get a wide shot there and you see Stevie Ray and Virgil and Scott Norton and Horace and it's yeah. position. I mean, this is this is not even B crew. This is C crew of the NWO. No disrespect to those guys individually. They all had great careers at one point, but it feels like when you're starting with Hall, Nash, and Hogan, and now you're to Virgil. Things yeah, you don't felt. need to be in the ring with those guys, do you? No, you don't. You d- Tony, no. uh, how would you describe fuck money? Buck money? Fuck money. Fuck money? Yeah. I would never say fuck money. What about meat sauce? Where are you on meat sauce? Meat sauce? Meat sauce. Jesus, I, what the fuck are we talking about here? Virgil is all about that meat sauce and that fuck money. <laughs> okay. You're out of the loop I- on this? Yeah, I'm not in the loop. But thank God, I'm not in the loop on that. Is Klondike Klon Bill shaking that uh, pumpkin right there? No, he's not. Here he comes. The ultimate. Well, can't say that. Fuck, I'll get sued. The warrior making his way to the ring. And I think he's waiting on Pyro. He's still waiting on Pyro. And as you can tell, he didn't get it right there <laughs> as his arms went down. Oh, there we, there's the pipe. Thank God there was Pyro. And I'm not so sure the fans are really into this Look as we are announcers, Conrad. Would you agree right now? As a matter of fact, I think there are a lot of people that are cheering for Hogan more here than they are for the Warrior. And may I say, as you can tell right there, God bless Jim Helwig. He's blowed up running to the ring. Warrior wants to do the test of strength. Which got us the and- famous, now infamous, I guess, uh, blowjob gif of the warrior's crotch going or head going crazy in, in Hogan's crotch in 1990. You think they'll be silly enough to recreate that spot? Hogan wanted no part of it. So now he goes with the collar and elbow tie up, puts him back to the corner and back and forth. These two main event superstars are slugging it out. What's the referee's name again? Kenny powers, Kenny powers trying to break them up. Hogan will not have any of it. A knee right to the throat. Warrior having air sex right now. Thrust. One, <laughs> two. Thrust. One, two. He's doing seven-minute abs here. Oh, the dreaded finger lock. Oh, now the, he'll do it, right? He's got a now claw. Now that no good son of a bitch will do it once he gets him down. Yes, sir. Great strategy here by Hogan. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Face in the crotch. Face in the crotch. Oh, thank God they broke that one. I, I was so, kind of, I was getting excited about it there for a minute. Now that we know more about Hulk Hogan, do you think part of the strategy here was to hit so, sort of headbutt the warrior with his thermos here? <laughs> do you think that's part of the strategy to just <laughs> full on Bubba the Love Sponge's wife thermos to the head? <laughs> Bam! Out of commission. <laughs> out of wrestling oh. brother let me, let me take a breath here and try to get back into this shithole match we're watching oh here comes the warrior up here he comes up hogan trying to hold him off what's he gonna do oh nothing right into the chest can, can i right make that i need to make a confession here tony i just realized yeah. two years ago that the ultimate warrior was supposed to be an indian character <laughs> really i never put that together well, you can tell by the tassels that I didn't there know. was something about him, okay? I, I, let me just go ahead and say, if that's not a T-shirt, <laughs> there's no justice. We need a shirt that has tassels 
around the shoulder, around the arms that just says, clearly I'm Indian. Oh, and Hogan's bleeding. From a belt shot that, that he immediately popped up from and tried to set himself on fire with. Oh, Jesus. And Christ. there's your 19th ding dong shot. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of the things I took away from this show was the ding dong shots. F- Great. <laughs> tremendous clothesline. Hogan's going to drop the big leg. When reach for Thank com- God, it's going to end. When that, uh, when that ding dong shot happened, I have to assume the warrior went <laughs> and there's Horace Hogan who has been irrelevant in all of wrestling history, but now suddenly as a big piece of the match, uh, when the centerpiece of Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior part two is Horace Hogan tells you what you need to know. Oh, look, but the warrior's coming back. Conrad, he's a maniac maniac. Drive it in place. And down goes Hogan. Down goes Hogan. Down goes Hogan. Down go- Stop me. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. Down goes Hogan. No, you're on your own. We're all stuck in this hell of a match. There's Eric Bischoff. Get out of here, Kenny Powers. We got to do something. I wish yeah. he could headlock us so we wouldn't have to finish watching the match. Here comes Horse. Oh, he, he hit the warrior in the back. He hit the warrior in the back. With a spray Two painted chair. One, two, Thank fucking God. Oh Lord. You know what though? The best part of the match hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> so let's be, let's be clear here uh, on the most recent nitro Hogan hit this guy in the head. He picked up that jacket at the nearest Harley Davidson outlet on the way to the show tonight. Right. Um, put 11 stitches in his head that we're going to see here in a minute. Yeah. And, and now oh, Kenny powers is getting the business right over the top. Kenny's out of here. He's eastbound and down. Okay. Look at the blood. I can't believe we allowed that blood to go on. Uh, Hogan did what he wanted, brother. Yeah, that's exactly right, brother. Now they're talking and we don't have any idea what they're really talking about, except to say you passed the test. You passed the test. brother. Swerve. Now, now it's time for us to do what we really came here for. We're here to finish the warrior. So let's get a shot of those stitches and let's let you reach into your pocket. We're going to set us a barbecue. They're going to burn the warrior. They're going to absolutely burn the warrior. Well, warrior just burned the whole town. So what's the difference? I know that, but they literally are going to burn him now. Go ahead. And now here comes Doug Dellinger and one of his, (laughs) one of his uh, Charlotte policemen helping him out. Get your ass out of here. Why is everybody so fired up about this? Everybody wanted this to be a hot match, have a hot finish. I know they wanted to be a hot match, but you know we we burned the town down. Basically, what we did. I want to burn my fucking eyes out. I don't want to. I, I need my life back. I had to watch this twice this week. This has got to be a rib. I know, but I, I can say this though: it's finally over, and that match was freaking smoking. How miserable was Eric Bischoff right here, knowing he had to go out here and sell this like this was anything decent, but in his head, knowing this was horrible. I don't think Eric knew it was horrible at that time, but I think after he went back, the fans in the crowd, look, no one knows what's going on. Look at warrior. And probably neither does the warrior. He probably didn't know this was going to happen to him. He's probably wondering why does Horace's squirt smell so funny? I don't know. Oh my God. We're out of time. Our main event. See you tomorrow night. Author of the books, The Four Horsemen and Big Gold from MidAtlanticGateway.com, Dick Bourne. 
Uh, I don't enjoy those that much. I do enjoy the um, shows where Tony and Conrad talk about certain wrestlers or certain time periods, certain angles, and so forth. That's uh, those shows are the ones I enjoy, of course, and I greatly appreciate Tony and Conrad using uh, my book, uh, The Four Horsemen, to uh, sort of as a guide for those episodes. Let me freestyle, you know, the reason I, where I was going with this was there's lots of, you know, conspiracy theories in wrestling, as you know. No, but. And, and one of the conspiracies was... Hey, the uh, flair was gaining such popularity as a baby face and dusty wanted to keep himself as the prime baby, baby face position. So let's turn flair. So they're not competing for the top baby face spot. And instead dusty can work with flair as a top heel. Um, what say you, is that just dusty being a smart booker as uh, wearing a booker hat or is that dusty, the wrestler protecting the spot? That's a combination of both. Well, that's fair. I mean, I, I mean, it is. Uh, you know, Dusty had it. Dusty had a, a big ego, uh, but Dusty Man could could talk uh, and could do some things that were wonderful, and uh, and had the book. The old the old adage back then was guys who had the book would always put themselves in the top spot because they knew in their mind what they wanted, and it was better for them to do it than to tell someone else how to do it. Uh, that was part of Dusty's thinking back then, uh, right or wrong. But uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's a combination of both. It's a combination of Dusty wanting to be the top babyface, and Dusty knowing that if he's going to have as the top babyface, if you're going to have someone good to work with, it would have to be Ric Flair because Flair could work, and Flair in the ring could make guys who couldn't work as well as him look good. Hell, I saw. I saw matches with Ric Flair and the Junkyard Dog, and this is you know later on in the early '90s, and Flair did the best he could with JYD, who, as we all know, was was not a good worker, but Flair made him look like something, uh, and Dusty knew that, so I think Dusty wanted to get somebody in the ring with him that could work, and had a great presence, and that's why he always paired himself with Flair. Not always, but many times did. Straight from the uh, new Horseman book, Flair had just defeated Nikita Koloff inside a steel cage to successfully defend the NWA World Championship. Ivan Koloff had entered the cage, and both of the Russians were ganging up on Flair. Suddenly, Rhodes entered the cage to a huge ovation to help Flair once again, and he cleared the ring of the Russians. Flair seemed furious. Moments later, the Andersons entered the cage and attacked Rhodes. If fans thought for a moment that Flair might return the favor and lend a hand to Dusty, they soon learned otherwise. The Andersons locked the cage door and held Rhodes down to the mat as Flair came off the top rope on his leg, breaking his ankle. The babyface locker room emptied as Magnum T.A., Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, and Terry Taylor all tried to scale the cage walls, but the Andersons kept knocking them down. The Omni crowd began to riot. With that crazy scene in the Omni, the seeds were sown for what would become the Battle of the Horsemen versus Dusty Rhodes for the next several years. Um, you were there. What was it? Yeah. Uh, what was it like that night in the Omni? This is one of those iconic scenes that we see as fans in 2017 and think, "Boy, it'll never be like that again." Yeah, it was chaos, and I remember Arn saying afterwards uh, that he was concerned for his safety leaving the the ring that night. Uh, we had. 
uh, one of our hot spots, the Omni, just like Greensboro, uh, and one of the great angles, and the fact that they were in the steel cage and nobody could hit, get in to help him out even made the situation even more urgent. Uh, I, rem- I remember that being legitimate heat, legitimate heat that you'll never see again. Well, uh, that legitimate heat, you know, would, would build for a lot, um, and, and a long time, because this would be one of the all time iconic feuds. And as we said, would go for years and years. So soon after this, uh, massacre in the cage, uh, Tully Blanchard becomes closely aligned with the Andersons and he had spent the first half of 85 battling Rhodes over the TV title. And then the second half with Magnum TA over the U S title. Uh, now there's four of them and baby doll is at Tully's side. And we would begin to see, um, these guys appear on each other's interviews. And this is the first time we'd really kind of seen this. Uh, Tully began teaming regularly with the Andersons in some six, six man tag matches across the country as well. Uh, how friendly were these guys behind the scenes during this time? Was there some sort of formal introduction as to, Hey, we're going to start pairing you guys together. Or did it just kind of organically happen to the best of your recollection? Uh, It organically happened. You dusty had a pretty good idea on what could end a show and what would get the fans talking. And you'll notice on some of these shows back then, Flair came out more than once and Tully would come out more than once. And then they would come out together. And there was a lot of impromptu, those guys joining each other uh, at the set together. As we formatted the show out, there were a lot of times that I didn't see Tully, Rick, and Arn together. I just saw them that maybe Tully was going to come out. But Flair and Arn would join him because in the back they were probably talking to Dusty about this and they would come up with things on the fly. How uh, friendly were these guys behind the scenes? Is this, you know, before they're really officially formed here, were they already behind the scenes traveling buddies? I mean, we hear a lot of times that, you know, even today, guys ride together. Um, were these guys kind of riding buddies? Did they party together? What was that dynamic like? Rick Flair. Ole uh, and Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson and JJ and <laughs> sometimes me when I was on the road travel together. Not saying I'm a horseman. Even before they were originally formed as the horsemen, they were traveling buddies. Yes. Okay. Well, Ole, there you go. Ole, Ole did not travel with them. I see. Ole had a completely different lifestyle, a completely old school way of doing things. And I think Ole traveled on his own. Uh, he didn't want to get involved in any of that. Uh, so, uh, well, those guys traveled together and he was a separate, so they got along and, and Ole got along with them, but there was a bit, there was, there was quite a separation between Ole and the rest of the guys. Do you have any good, uh, examples or stories you can share with us about how that dynamic worked with Ole kind of being on his own? I just know Ole at a lot of times would say as, as Flair would do his stuff and do his interviews and we would be on the road. I remember Ole saying, I'm not getting involved in that shit at all. He would tell me that Ole and I had, Ole was a great conversationalist. You could sit down and talk to Ole Anderson for hours about anything. He loved to talk about money. <laughs> he loved to talk about the stock market, uh, but he could sit down and talk to him for hours about anything. But when you talked about Flair and those guys, it's he didn't never he never criticized what they did on camera within the ring, 
But he would always like, I'm not doing that shit as far as going on the road with them and drinking and partying. So he was very much against that and very opposed to it. And I guess maybe he didn't appreciate it. So he didn't party. Did he dilly dally? No. If he did, that was if if he did, that was ultra kayfabe. So Arn Arn didn't like or Ole didn't like uh, alcohol or women, and he was a horseman. It's no wonder they kicked his ass out. <laughs> I uh, know. <laughs> he 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 may have secretly liked both, uh, but uh, it, I mean, Ole just showed up, right? I mean, we would be around, and then Ole would show up, not being with the other guys. There may have been sometimes because of need. And because of uh, just at the right time that Ole would hop into a car and go to a town with him. But Ole never went to the bar. Ole uh, never went out to dinner. And I don't know why he didn't because Flair always picked up the tab. And Ole was so fucking tight that he would love that. Well, I tell you what, you could tell Ole was tight because he used to wear those T-shirts on TV that were just iron on letters. My favorite was the one that said, damn, I am good. I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, and he wore those wore those burgundy trunks and those boots with the gold stripes on it that he wore from the 60s, I guess. You know, the personality shows were fun. You really got to jog your memory with those. I don't know that we are ever going to do one better than the Bobby Heenan one. Yeah, can I respond to this, this chair thing? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. I always like my chair high. But I never thought my chair should be higher than Heenan's. And Heenan used to always grab my chair, and I would go way down. And I thought it was a fucking gag, and I would get back up, and I would take it, and I would go up, and he would go way down again. And I would laugh, thinking it was fucking Heenan being Heenan. But I never thought that he thought that my chair should be higher than his. Well, you know. Maybe maybe by my annex, annex that, I can see where he would think that. But I always thought it was funny because he would hit that button. And down I would go. Isn't it true that one of the reasons you wanted to lift your chair is you're a short little fucker? No, yeah, that's true. So, Absolutely. I, you know, yeah. maybe he just thought you had some sort of weird leather jacket Napoleon complex. <laughs> that sounds right to me. But he did a lot of crazy shit, man. He did a lot of crazy stuff. And uh, it made us laugh, I mean, a lot. And so that was one of them. And uh, if that's a way of... Uh, <laughs> that's the way of heaping shit on me fine because at the time it was funny let's keep going in the book here tony has not okay. spoken to me since i left wcw he never said goodbye to me he knew it was coming but he never told me that they weren't going to renew me if knowledge is power he wanted that power and the time i worked for him he never had me over to his house even once even though we live close to each other i had him over to my house twice after i was released from wcw i was out on new year's eve with the Tanays in atlanta my wife went to use the restroom downstairs. Cindy came back to tell me that Tony and his wife were at the bar. I walked downstairs and sat across from the bar from Tony and just stared at him. Tony saw me and then would try to avoid looking at me. Finally, he left. The next day, he told Tanae that he and his wife had to go home. They couldn't even eat because they were so upset. He couldn't figure out why I would stare at him and not acknowledge him. I told Mike what to tell him. It's obvious I can't trust you. It's obvious you don't like me. There's nothing to say. So if I can't trust you, I'm going to watch you. I ruined his New Year's. Do you recall? Yeah, he did. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, And he stared at us, and I I didn't know whether to walk over. I should have walked over and said, Bobby, I'm sorry. I didn't. 
the one of the guys at the bar who worked there, he said, if you and your wife want to have dinner here, I will make sure he goes away. And I said, no, I'm not going to cause a scene. We will just leave. But it was Mike Tanay who actually came downstairs and saw me. It wasn't Cindy. It was Tanay who came downstairs and saw me and went back up and told Heenan that we were there for New Year's Eve. Uh, let me tell you exactly what happened when Bobby Heenan got fired and why I fucked it up and why he is really mad at me, which I can understand why. I got a call from Craig Leathers at my house who said, we are firing Bobby Heenan or we have fired Bobby Heenan. And I said, okay, so now, you know, since I'm in charge of the announcers, do you want me to do it? Because Craig, I shouldn't do it. He said, no, I've done it already. I've talked to him on the phone and he has threatened a lawsuit. So I'm telling you as your supervisor, do not call him. Do not have any contact with him because he's threatened our company with a lawsuit. And I said, okay, I won't call him. Realistically, I should have said, okay, I won't call him. Hung up the phone and turned around and called him. That's what I should have done. But I didn't. I didn't know it was coming. I didn't call him because Craig told me not to. And I should have because we had been very close. And we had been very good friends. And we had traveled up and down on the road together. So that was my mistake. And I'm sorry for it. I really am. And that's why he was angry at me. I really liked uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Okay, so what, what's next? Uh, we're talking about Randy Savage. He's saying that at the Clash, he and Sting are going to be watching Hogan's back against the Dungeon of Doom. And he says he's going to be ringside doing color commentary during Hogan Kamala for the August 6th Clash. Uh, at this point, we've got Savage watching Hogan's back instead of having his own thing going on. And I guess we're kind of putting a pause on the Ric Flair feud. Uh, That clash in particular did a 3.5 rating. Hogan on top, which is the main event, only does a 2.1. They only go about four and a half minutes. Hogan wins by DQ. uh, And this happens, of course, because Kevin Sullivan interferes. Uh, Hogan did kick out of the big splash and make the Superman come back doing the whole boot to the face and the leg drop. But that's when Sullivan comes off the top rope. Uh, of course, the Butcher's there. Or I guess he's Zodiac by this point. Shark is there, and there's a big DQ schmoz until Sting and Randy Savage make the save. This is not WCW's best work here. What do you think of this whole Dungeon of Doom versus Mega Maniacs feud that they were building towards here? I thought it was a pretty good effort, but uh, it did not work. Look, the reason Hogan and uh, Kamala drew the 2.1 rating was everyone knew that, well, they had no interest in it. Everyone right. knew what was going to happen. Sure. It was almost like a squash match. That's not uh, disparaging Kamala at all. But uh, there was no intrigue in that. And they tried to make some intrigue by using the uh, the Dungeon of Doom. And in reality, this Dungeon of Doom thing, as it was going on, I was thinking, you know, it's not so bad. But now in hindsight. It's not very fucking good either. No, not very good. Uh they do a, t- a series of tapings on August 21st at center stage. And here we would see sting and Randy Savage take on the blue bloods, which is kind of fun when you consider who the blue bloods were sting is dressed up like Savage and Savage is wearing face paint here. They tagged a lot in 95. How would you categorize sting and, and Savage's behind the scenes relationship? Good. Very good sting. Uh, sting made a pretty good effort to get along with everybody. 
Sting was a pretty good, pretty cool guy. Well, it, it is a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Always was that way. Um, el hombre más importante en el mundo del podcasting, Dave Silva. My favorite episode has to be his first year or his only year in the WWF. I really felt that in that episode, Tony really revealed himself and really opened himself up to us fans and listeners to what was going on, his mindset, his excitement of going to the big leagues. Uh, and Jim Hurd said, well, we made a mistake. We want you to come back as an executive producer. You'll be in charge of all of our syndication. What's Vince offering you? What, what is Vince paying you? I told him. He said, all right, we're going to give you 35000 more a year the first year. The next year, we're going to up it to 45000 more. And the next year, you'll be making 55000 more a year than what you're making now. And I know it's more expensive to live up here, blah, blah, blah. And he also said, and this caught my attention, he said, you know that we are owned by TBS, which owns the Atlanta Braves, and we know you love baseball. You fulfill the three years of this contract, and we will do all we can to help you get work with the Atlanta Braves. I said, all right. Thank you very much. I left thinking in the back of my mind, and I was right. That's bullshit. The Atlanta Braves are not going to let a wrestling announcer do their stuff. Um, went back, and Lois and I talked about it. And again, she said, you know, it's do what you want to do. I, I'd rather move back to the south, but wherever you want to live. And I literally, literally got a, a, a yellow legal pad, a long one, and put the pros and the cons, wrote them down of going back and staying with the WWF. And I'm telling you, it's, it's still to this day the most agonizing decision I ever made. And I made it, and I told Bruce, and Bruce, what, what happened before that was uh, I asked for a big raise and didn't get a big raise. And I, that's fine. You're not going to, they can only say no, right? Who did you ask a big raise for? You asked Bruce? Bruce fucking Pritchard. And Bruce not only didn't give me a big raise, he gave me a very terrible review. It was not a terrible review. I shouldn't say that. It wasn't a good review. Got to work on this. Got to work on that. And I knew I had done great with Coliseum videos. I know I had done great work. Just ask the Coliseum video people. I had put more effort in the Coliseum videos than they had ever had before. Effort into it. And that's what made it the the difference. So it was a bad review. It was just about the same time that, you know, they were, WCW was offering me this. And I got to thinking that, you know, I'm not so sure that uh, they really want me here. So I went to tell Bruce and Bruce said, you got to be fucking shitting me. He said, all right, I'm going to call Vince. And he called Vince and Bruce said, Vince is really pissed off. He was sick today. He didn't even come to work, but he's coming in here to the production facility and talk to you. And Vince came in and he was angry. And one thing I remember Vince saying was, do you think that Turner is going to take care of you and your family like I did or like I have? And I said, no, I don't. To be honest with you, I really don't. I said, but it's a decision I've got to make for my family and not necessarily my career. So he said, all right. And then I went to, when it was all said and done, it was over. This was after WrestleMania six. I go into Vince's office 
and I signed these waiver releases or whatever he had me sign. And he was great. He was a, a different person. He said, I understand. I understand what you're, what you're going through. He said, I want you to know the door is always open for you to come back here. That's what he said to me. Uh, a week back at WCW, I called back wanting my job back, uh, thinking I made the biggest mistake of my life because I went, went back to basically a company that was being run on a production level like Jim Crockett Promotions. And I had come from this great production facility that was organized and well-staffed and well-funded and well-run, and I was going back to a production facility that uh, Turner had put in that was kind of run just a little step above what was run by Crockett. So I was miserable. And uh, Emily Feinberg took my call. She said, all right, I'll talk to Vince. You can call again. I, I called again, and she said, no, Vince said you have a young family. Uh, you moved them from Charlotte to Connecticut, and then a year later from Connecticut to Atlanta. You don't want to drag them back and forth. Stay right where you are and make it work. And I did. Chapter 4, Off the Rails. As the repertoire rapport. between Tony and Conrad begin to grow, things start to amp up just a little bit. You know, the most popular bit on the show is probably Tommy Young. My favorite bit for the show is still Tommy Young. Well, which we, we credited on our Starcade 99 episode to David Flair, because David is the person who told us the story, or told me the story. And, uh, and that story... Uh, and, and we mentioned that was something that young David Flair had told us about. Uh, nobody can even tell it as good as him, and I hope we can get him on the show one day to tell that. And I know we don't do live guests, but David is so hilarious in the way he does it. It's way better than my version. I think that is overall our favorite bit because it still makes me laugh every time Conrad says it. What happened when superfan Joe Santiago? Tommy Young story it's just one of those that it just it makes me laugh jeff jewett from doodootrucking.com my favorite is probably the same as everyone else is tommy young episode 28 monday nitro from august 4th 1997 so here's a fun question for you you know at this time the company's spending a fortune on lights and rigging and strobes and smoke and and fire and pyro and my and Michael Buffer. And Michael Buffer. And we got no theme music for the Giant, which made him feel special, but no music. Hypothetically, if the Giant were coming out to music right now, what would it be? Uh, it would be something something classical, something from Beethoven. Dun, 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 dun. Big motherfucker coming to the ring. Big motherfucker. Something like that, right? I mean... No, I'm going to. You, can I be very honest with you? Yes. I remember high voltage. I don't remember their names. Which one is Rage and which one is? Uh, Let me ask you this. The other guy. Does it matter? No, it doesn't. Right, okay. <laughs> put, it, put it this way: the one that looks a little bit like <laughs> the one that looks a little bit like a, a younger Rick Steiner, the one right here, is probably my favorite. Here's my question: Did you recognize that the guy with Rage on his ass? Might be rage, and the guy with chaos on his ass ah, might be okay. chaos. Uh, I did not. Thank you very much. Yep, you're all going to get old, motherfuckers. Don't laugh at me. Oh, a foot up into the jaw. And he <laughs> sold it momentarily. 
This might actually be my new favorite public enemy match because before today I had none. Uh, and this is maybe the only one I remember. I'm curious, since you said you felt like, you know, he was in a bad spot. What was your favorite Vincent match? I can't remember any Vincent matches. You just saw one. Hey, here's a bad rumor. As Barbarian comes to the ring, uh, yeah. a very good friend of mine recently told me that uh, sometimes in the locker room, Barbarian would uh-huh. joke around with Tommy Young. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, not exactly, but I think I know what, what direction you're going. Go ahead. He would say, Tommy Young, you come over here, you jack me off. <laughs> uh, and apparently, that was a thing. Tommy? Do you remember? Tommy would do it? <laughs> well, I wasn't there. This is all rumored in you. I'm asking, do you remember Tommy Young passing out hand relief? No, I, I do not. W- what I remember about Tommy Young was Tommy did admit that he was gay. And I remember him telling <laughs> him telling him one time, he said, uh, I am gay, but I'm non-practicing. I've heard that. What's I swear yeah. I was going to bring that up because yeah. when I heard non-practicing, I laughed out loud. Right. And Heenan said, without missing a beat, then how do you know you are? I'll tell All you right. who got a lot of practice back in the day, and that's Wrath, Brian Clark here, with another one of those off, sticks. Did he used to jerk off guys? Did he really used to jerk off guys? Uh, Wrath, no. No. Wrath, Tommy never. Young. I don't know. I was asking you. I just know that Barbarian would say, hey, Tommy Young, you come over here and jack me off. That's my Barbarian impression. Hey, That's pretty Tommy Young, good. you come over here and jack me off. Hey, Rath, you come in here. I do job. Episode 33, Fall Brawl, 1996. One of the places you guys didn't spare any expense was in the wardrobe. Let's talk about what you fucks were wearing. Uh, Dusty Rhodes has his blue jeans cut into shorts. He's cut the sleeves off of his denim shirt too. And he has on the Adrian Adonis motorcycle hat and cowboy boots. Somehow Dusty Rhodes still pulls this off. He doesn't look like he's one of the people from people of Walmart. Uh, he actually looks kind of cool. Meanwhile, you're rocking slacks, a denim vest, the same goofy leather hat that Dusty can pull off. And for some reason, you have a hilariously bad tattoo. You look like a middle-aged village people person. Um, wasn't yeah. this your job as a producer to make sure you didn't look like you? <laughs> I mean, this feels like just a failure on your part. What was the tattoo? When did you get it? Why did you get it? And why that one? Well, I got it because I always wanted a tattoo. Always. And I never really had the courage to get one because I knew how much shit Lois would give me about having a tattoo. So I went down through downtown Sturgis and saw they had all these tattoos that they would airbrush on you. And I I got one uh, thinking it was cool and wore it around a couple of days there uh, and then had it to where it would it would show on me. But it was it was the theme of the thing, Conrad. It was, it was the theme of the show. You understand? So did you approve this wardrobe for Dusty or, I mean, how does that go? Do no, y'all- no. See, you're, you're, you're again, I don't, I don't approve announcers. I didn't approve announcer wardrobes. What were you producing we, besides horrible commentary and vodka you know bottles? You, 
You know what you are? I'm a shit disturber. Yeah, I know you're a fucking bully. Oh, yeah. Okay. B-U-L-L-Y is what you are. Well, hey, you okay. keep it up and Tony Giovanni. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's coming out one way or another, brother. Easy way or hard way. Were any of the Nitro girls particularly fond of Ice Train? Uh, you really put me on the spot with this bullshit, don't you? I'm just asking a question. I, I don't know. What did you hear? Did you hear that maybe that Ice Train was had had sex with Kimberly? What? You know, every now and again, I just throw something out there vague, not knowing if you're going to take the bait. And there you did. So since you brought it up, um, Ice Train has been linked together with Kimberly, but uh-huh. he, he's not exactly alone in that association. No. Do I have that right? No. Giant was been associated with her too. And Eric Bischoff has been associated with her too. That was a rumor back then. Okay. Do you believe that when not one name gets leaked out there, like this guy likes that girl, but it's uh-huh. multiple guys and the husband is there and not yeah. necessarily protesting. Maybe he is protesting. You know, look, I always thought the giant was big enough. If he wanted to get some pussy, what could the husband do? If the, if the woman, well, was- you could have given him a diamond cutter. I mean, <laughs> everybody knows that that's the end. I guess what I'm getting to is one of these critiques is going to get out there that, that I said that ice train was fucking Kimberly. You said that I said that was a rumor back then. Okay. Was there a rumor that DDP not only knew about these indiscretions, but he was okay with it. Yes. And maybe even present. Uh, I didn't hear present as much as I heard. Okay. With it. I guess my question is, do you think that DDP was in the corner doing some stretches and a little self high five action? I'm just saying. Okay. I love him. Move on. All right. Yeah. I like the Q and a shows. I know Conrad does because basically you don't have to do as much work with the Q and a shows. You just read questions. That we get on social media. Conrad does all this, all the background work. Oh, he does all the heavy lifting in this. I just kind of sit my fat ass down and respond to what he says. I love the Q and a shows. I think they give you a different feel and you get to answer more questions and and be more involved. And it's, it feels a little bit like, um, a pop-up video almost where you're sort of all over the place with just random facts. Uh, It's a little uh, ADD and I love it. Episode 31, Q&A. Matthew Parker wants to know, does Buff's mom still trim his bag? I would not know for a fact, but I imagine that if she did back then, she probably does today. Well, I don't know that you're ready for this, Tony, but are you sitting in front of your Google machine? Yeah. If you could, I'd like to see you go ahead and type into your Google machine, Cowboys, and then the number four, Angels. Cowboys, four, Angels. Cowboys, okay. How do you spell Cowboys? C-O-W-B-O-Y-S. I know, I'm just playing with you. Cowboys, four, H. Okay. Oh, shit, I typed in Cowboys for Angles. Hang on here. 
Cowboys for Angels. Okay. <laughs> are you are you here? <laughs> you you know what you know you're you're a hell of a guy, but what? in reality you're not worth a fuck. Thank you. I, okay. I guess what I wanted you to see is yeah. Um, there's a fellow in here named Marcus. Marcus oh, Bagwell. Would it? Would I click on the Atlanta? Portion? Well, if you just go cowboysforangels.com forward slash cowboy forward slash Marcus hyphen Bagwell. Okay. There is a link there and I can, I can actually send this to you so you can click on this and just go ahead and take a peek. So it's forward slash Marcus forward slash Bagwell. I love that you're really doing this. Uh, just check your email. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm emailing you maybe the gayest thing. Well, here's I've ever one. It looks like you. Roman Reigns. Ooh. Looks like him. I don't know why, but you getting excited about who these guys reminds you of tickles me. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, he's not active right now because when I click on Atlanta, I just see Enzo and Dominic, and those sound like wrestler names. Yeah, I but um, he still has a page up, and it says he's forty three. He's six one. He's two thirty. Um, and you can request an encounter. Or view his rates. It says, Marcus Alexander Bagwell grew up outside of Atlanta, and after being a star athlete in high school, he decided to take his hard work and effort in fitness to become a professional trainer. Not long after, Marcus also decided to enroll in massage therapy school, where he eventually graduated top of his class and holds a degree in massotherapy. While pursuing his passions, he was discovered by a professional wrestler who convinced Marcus to give it a shot, and after doing so, he was a natural. His first persona on national TV was the handsome stranger. How about that? They call where, him the natural. Where he brought roses to the ring and handed them out to the ladies in the crowd. Fast forward a year later, and he was now signed to World Championship Wrestling and received Rookie of the Year honors. This skyrocketed his career, and now no longer calling himself Marcus Alexander Bagwell, Buff the Stuff Bagwell was born, and the rest is history being watched each week by millions of fans all over the world, Buff Bagwell spent over a decade on national TV entertaining the fans. A true Southern gentleman, Marcus, once again, is ready to hand out a few roses and entertain you for the evening. But if that's not your cup of tea, he will forever be your Buff the Stuff Bagwell. Uh, and that's his profile here. And if you'd like to view his rates uh, for two hours, <laughs> he will come service you for $800. Holy shit. Uh, that's going to take you a little longer. Uh, he will he will uh, knock them boots for fifteen fifty. Overnight, he's going to need three grand. If you'd like to spend a full twenty four hours with him, the low low price of just forty five hundred. If you need a full weekend of buff stuffing, it's eight thousand bucks. And if you want him for the week, you can have him, ladies. He's twenty five grand. Twenty five wow. grand a week. We're in the wrong. I'm in the wrong business. Here. Well, here's what I'm wanting to know. Next week, can we set you up a profile on Cowboys for Angels? And Hell for twenty no. for twenty five grand a week, we could get this wedding knocked out in short order. <laughs> Do it for the I'm, kids. Well, yeah. Dave Silva. Now, Lois Shivani is the diamond of WHW, and she has a fantastic sense of humor. She's a wonderful woman. Um, I think that Tony gives her a hard time because obviously he has to live with her and I don't, 
But I just think she's wonderful. And we all love her being a part of the show. And we love that beautiful, sweet princess voice whenever she she gives her three, two, one, blast off. But uh, I like Lois. And uh, she doesn't take any shit. And I, and I, I don't mind the run-ins. Uh, just keep her off Netflix when Tony's doing the damn show, all right? She's fantastic. And I love that she gives Tony shit all the time. Was she... Uh... She always was, even back when we were dating, one of the funniest people I've ever met. The first Lois run-in was a complete accident, and Tony was a little upset by it. I feel like we need music right now, like game show music as she makes her approach. <laughs> Try. Go Would you pl- Here we go. Ten hours later, she's downstairs. So uh, that's what I remember about that Clash of the Champions. What, what else we got for next week? War Games 2000 is not nearly as interesting as what's going on at your house. Um, And the Triple Cage War Games match. We've got Kevin Nash, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, and Vince Russo taking on Booker T, Goldberg, Chronic, and Sting. Your memories, briefly, of War Games 2000. I don't want to take away from what's happening at your house right now. I don't have any memories of that. Look. What? This is awesome. Okay, I, I, I sit on here that if I was ever inducted to the Hall of Fame, as you know, I'll never be. Because we had a bobblehead this past weekend, and that's, that was great. That Conrad Thompson should induct me. Don't you think that, that my humor has gotten better and that my life has gotten better? Because you want, you want Conrad to induct you? Yeah, in the Hall of Fame. Don't you think that would be funny? No, it sounds criminal to me. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. It sounds perverted. Yeah, okay, thank you. Hey, right. um, I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Does she know how Sonny makes That's- a living in 2017? Yeah, let's induct you. What's that? Sonny makes a living in 2017 uh-huh. by Skyping with wrestling fans yeah. while right. they jerk off. Right. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a, uh, a Sonny diva. who's a valet makes a living. Uh, Skyping with wrestling fans while they jerk off. So, and I'm a wrestling oh, fan. Oh, you guys, you guys are sick fucks. Come on, let's go, dogs. Well, yeah, let's go, dogs. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. All right. Funny? Yeah, I think it's funny. I mean, don't you think it's funny? No, it's, it's you. I think you're perverted. No. What's she doing to that dog? Do anything for money. Don't uh, do, do me for shows your boobs. Hey, you know what the difference is? She's never done anything for money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad she walked out on that one. I, I could have never imagined that Matt Coon, who really is is not able to contribute in a serious way to the show at all, because usually he deletes all of our good stuff. So whatever value he does add is a net loss because he deleted our best stuff, but, uh, he added the music bed for curb your enthusiasm. And I feel like her ranting with him dripping in the curb, your enthusiasm music, where if you get it, it's the funniest thing you've ever heard. Uh, when, in one of the run-ins where I talked about the fact that, uh, she had been texting me that Lois had been texting me. Uh, I've been texting your wife. Did you know this? Oh, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm telling you about it. I'm telling you about it. So I asked for your home address, as you recall. Yeah. 
And here's where the dog hair comes from. She says, let me know if you're planning a surprise visit. I'll need to clear a path so you won't trip over all the dog hair. <laughs> he played the music bed, OPP, from Naughty by Nature. Nobody caught it that I know of, but it made my day. So kudos to Matt Coon for not deleting all the good stuff. Uh, War Games 2000 is probably my favorite episode at that time. War Games 2000 is my favorite episode for a lot of reasons. And we did something a little different there. We taped it in my basement. I had a lot of friends in town. Uh, we sort of planned like a friend's vacation. And a lot of my friends from around the country, my wrestling friends, came and spent the weekend with me. I was also there. And Tony called and was just looking to get out of the house with Lois and just on a whim decided to come over and take the podcast. Tony wasn't even supposed to be there. Conrad was going to take via Skype. But I think what happened is that when Tony heard we were all over there, he made the drive. And it's like, I think, a, a four-hour drive or a five-hour drive. And we were all really excited he was coming. So when Tony showed up, boy, everything got real. And we had a great time. But I found myself more playing to the audience and looking for the cheap pops and to make them laugh. So before the incident happened, before the incident happened, Conrad and Tony, and especially Conrad, was on fire. And to clear something up, Conrad was drunk. Nope. He was sober. Stone cold sober. And he was hilarious. And that sort of split our audience a little bit because there was the one hand who wanted just the facts, ma'am. And they were disappointed. And the other side, who realized, hey, they're trying to have fun. And it is pretty funny. And they got it. That first half is definitely the best listen of a podcast I've ever heard. So if you were in that latter group, you thought War Games 2000 was great. Uh, But if you were really serious about your pro wrestling details from 2000, that's probably not the show for you. Uh Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Are you familiar with this? I'm just... No, I'm not. I And I... How can you say they make terrible music? I, I can't. I never did listen to their music, so I don't. Well, let me ask you a question, okay. and this is a real question. Uh, fucking magnets. How do they work? Fucking magnets. That's a song from the Tank Clown Posse. Fucking magnets. How do they work? Um, so uh, here's the irony, I think. Oh, God. The, the clowns yes. are allowed to wear face paint, but the two guys who sold... Millions of dollars in merchandise. Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrero, uh-huh. who, whose livelihood was based around the mask, and it's such a, a rich part of their heritage and tradition in wrestling. Yeah. WCW's like, no, we, huh. we got to see these fucking guys' face. Hey, you guys are going to work these clown rappers. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> I do. The Beverly Hillbillies. Is the graphics like. are sponsored by PowerPoint. Look at this. <laughs> MS Paint. Is who did this fall brawl graphic. Now, this is an interesting time in WC. Hey, so we see Kevin Nash here, uh, and he takes his watch off and puts it in his pants pocket. Is that not a tell that some shit's about to go down? Yeah, that a bump is going to happen. It feels like he would have taken that off in the back. <laughs> exactly. But, it, you know, I don't know that Nash could give one shit less here. He's wearing a tank top. He's got a baseball hat. He's got on basketball pants. Yeah. I don't think I would ever see Kevin Nash on Raw dressed like this. Would you agree with that? Hey, let me ask you, um, what was your favorite uh, triple cage match with Luthes? <laughs> George Hackenschmidt, you know, was, was one of the most well-rounded yeah. wrestlers of all time. And I just, I wonder how many triple cage matches he worked. Exactly. I, I have no idea. And I never seen uh, Luthes come in with, uh, 
with neon highlights either. I know when I think about dangerous weapons, I'd want to hit with someone an aluminum trash can and a guitar are the yeah, first thing I know. Like if somebody broke in my house, we're taping this at the Conradison. If somebody right. broke in right now, right. I'd be like, Coon, get the guitar, <laughs> you know, Dan, grab the aluminum trash can. <laughs> Where are the fucking handcuffs? <laughs> That's right. An introduction of the people at the desk. And let me just tell you on the left is powder. Uh, Jeremy Borash. <laughs> And on the right is the sexiest big man. That popped the crowd here. Uh, <laughs> can I give you a compliment right now? Yeah. You're a damn good looking man right there. Thank you very much. I've like, changed. I saw that guy the other day when yeah. I was watching this. I was like, that's not the guy I know. Yeah, I know. Like, I don't know what happened. I, I do know what happened. Yeah. I got old and fat, motherfucker. That happened. Did, did a Krispy Kreme move near you? Like, what happened? <laughs> okay. Did you do overtime on that Eclipse donut, or what the fuck happened? And I'm a fat guy. I'm allowed to say this. I know you are. But this Tony Schiavone yeah. ate that Tony Schiavone. Yeah. Just wait and this you, one grew a beard. Just wait till you get my age. And quit it. cutting his hair. Okay. Yeah. So we've got two Nazis out here. Who in the hell are these guys? The, they look like two horse Hogans to me. They're attacking <laughs> chronic and hitting them in the head with sugar glass. Okay. Here's what's so offensive to me. Okay. They're, they have their, their SS tattoos in plain view. How am I from Alabama and I'm fucking offended? I don't even know a Jewish person. Well, let's talk the about the great fucking Muda in this angle. So we've got Vampiro, the great Muda and sting. And this feels like Vince Russo saying, Hey, who has fucking face paint? Put them all in the <laughs> ring. God damn it. I forgot about ICP. This could have been a five way. Like the green mist in the eyes. How would you describe green mist in the eyes? What on that match? Never mind. Okay. Fuck this. Keep going with your story. My, my story is that, that they fuck. They, okay. Is this a one, two, three, one? Well, why two, wouldn't it be three? Okay. Now these guys had a pay-per-view feud where they threw each other off buildings and set each other on fire and battled in graveyards. Uh -huh. But now we got a reverse DDT in 19 seconds. Fucking right. match over. Exactly. It turns well, out you can set him on fire, but if you spit that green mist in his face, it's fucking oh, too late. And there are the clowns <laughs> <right>. as predicted. <laughs> as right. Let's get everybody with fucking white face paint out there. It'll okay. be awesome. <laughs> And then afterwards, they do a quick promo and explanation as to why that would happen. Do you right. remember what he said? Yeah, he said you got to be prepared for things like this. Well, specifically, suckers gots to know. Suck, well, okay, suckers gots to know. And I want <laughs> suckers gots to know to yeah. be our next T-shirt at okay. ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, I don't, because I know Stevie Ray would come after my ass for some money. Well, we'll cut him in on that. Okay. I just think it would be cool if we said Mondays at 6 a.m., suckers gots to know. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it, too. And his brother robbed a Wendy. So these are two bad fucking dudes. You know what I mean? Did you, have you checked with uh, Booker T since the uh, what's been going on in Houston? Booker T is good. He's good? Uh, he's good. really good friends with Bruce Pritchard, as you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and he's safe. And, and considering a run for mayor and considering the shit show they've had recently. Yeah. Uh, he I'd may, vote for him. If Mattress Mac runs, he wins exactly. in a runaway. Right. But if he doesn't, then right. suckers got to know they yeah. should vote yeah. for Booker T. Now, can you dig Don't that? Don't hate the player. Hate, hate the, the mayor. Game. No. <laughs> Why weren't the Harris twins programmed against Goldberg? Considering their SS tattoos, it feels like a natural fit, does it not? Yes. Yes, it does. It, it feels like a, a natural fit. We know that the hero would have prevailed. Right. I mean, Goldberg would have smashed them at the yeah, same of time. He would have. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been great. Absolutely. 
That's Chaos oh, Hayashi yeah. and uh, Jimmy Wang Yang yeah. and uh, whatever they are. J- Jamie Noble in a mask. Jamie Noble that? in a mask. Good job, Matt. Okay, Matt knows more about this shit than I do. Well, who doesn't, in fairness? (laughs) Jamie Noble forgot to jump, and they reminded him (laughs) and then forced him (laughs) right through the table. Exactly. Jamie Noble's dead. Maybe Nydia can come revive him. Uh, And now we're going to go from shitty. Remember that? Uh, And they're going to be three on two here, uh, which feels like something Buff Bagwell charges by the hour for. We're gonna see why she got it. Oh, no, taking the Jeff Jarrett hit the balsa guitar right over her head. Wow. Have you that? ever? Did you ever play with the balsa guitar? It feels like that would have been something you would have had fun with. Play with it? Well, like you know, it's a gimmick, right? Right. And so it's balsa wood right. and some similar shit. It feels like you would have been like, I need to take one of those home and smack Chris Shivani <laughs> over the fucking head with it. No, but by God, that would have been a hell of an idea. I mean, I think that'd be great. Exactly. What yeah. do you mean you got to see on your report card? Come here, boy. <laughs> Whack. <laughs> You better get all A's next time you slap nuts. <laughs> Hypothetically, if you were making a pass at Tori, what would that sound like? <laughs> Tori Wilson, come here. <laughs> come over here, jack me off. <laughs> I feel like it'd be like, Tori Wilson. Eating ain't cheating. Come get your cat bath. <laughs> if you fuck Billy Kidman, you'll fuck anybody. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, we are off the rails. Here we go. About Goldberg being so stiff and so green that you could get hurt in the ring with the shit he was doing. Because the shit he did, was doing was look, look real. And the reason it looked real was because a lot of it, it was. was real. Yeah. Well, I mean, is that really like, I, I guess that's the thing is you're putting over him at the beginning of this program saying that he was over and he had natural charisma or did he just fucking hurt people without regard for them? Cause the whole idea behind wrestling is to make it look like it hurts, but not actually hurt anybody. Exactly. He wasn't the first though that did that. I mean, you can't, but, but he ended Bret Hart's career. Okay. I mean, so well, if we're going to, yeah, I yeah. guess you, you don't I, like me to say that. That's just me. Okay. I, and I don't. So. You, but he didn't end your career or kick your fucking head into the third round. No, he did not. No, he did not. So now we've got uh, the Natural Born Thrillers out there. And, of course, Goldberg's going to squash all of them. Right. Look at this stupid. Chuck Palumbo's next. Yeah. yeah. The event, right? Is that uh, what we called him back yes, then? Yes, he was. Yes. yes. Uh, right. Here's above average Mike Sanders. Yeah. Um, above average, Mike Sanders went on to do comedy. Did he? Yeah. Well, he was a good talker. He, he really was. He I was felt a like good he talker. was a good promo, yeah. and 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 yeah. I thought he had an upside, right? As, as a mouthpiece, right? Now, if I recall from watching this, they had me. Goldberg sh- has no idea how to do a pump handle yeah. slam. Ugh. Yeah, this is all stiff shit right here. So we're just hurting people and spitting on them. Yeah, basically what it is. Look He's at choking this. him like he did Evan Courageous now, uh-huh. okay. grabbing his ding ding. Okay. And then a spear on Shane Douglas. So Goldberg has just destroyed 98 men. Yeah. But the fans are buying it, right? Well, I mean, I think anybody wants to see somebody get beat up for real. Well, but still, they're they're still buying it, okay? Well, they're Uh, buying it because he's beating people up for real. Yeah. A story, uh, a well-known story in the for the Atlanta Falcons. There's a one, two, three. Is that when Goldberg played for the Falcons for a short period of time? He would challenge all the Falcon players to wrestle because he loved wrestling, right? Right. 
and uh, he would end up like stretching all of them. And somebody said to Bill Frelick one time, you know, Frelick was a part, I think, of WrestleMania too. They said, Frelick said, you, uh, you've wrestled before. Why don't you hop in there with him? Frelick said, that motherfucker's nuts. He'll hurt you. Right. So I so think I, that motherfucker's hut, he'll, uh, nuts. He'll hurt you. Extended to 2002. Frelick should have smartened up Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah. So tell me the Bret. I don't know the Bret Hart well, story. I'm sure we'll cover it at some point wow. when he kicked okay. his head in the third fucking row. I was row. handsome back there, wasn't I? You really were. Look next, at to, you. next to Jeremy Borash, actually. No wonder you have 19 kids. But a lot of that may have just been you, you positioned yourself between Mark Madden and Powder. <laughs> you know? Right. Borash looked, looked like shit there. I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, so the, the, Bill, the Bill Goldberg book, I'm Next, was coming out, and it was promoted as being high energy, exciting, and a hilarious story of how Goldberg went from unemployed football player to undefeated world champion in just 18 short months. Mm. So there you go. What did you think of the book? I didn't read the book. I tried to read it, but I got hurt doing so. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gary Michael. <laughs> the crowd popped out. Yes, <laughs> And and the there's Vince went. Russo with his helmet. Too bad he wasn't wearing that when Cat knocked his fucking head off. <laughs> you know, right. it could have helped. Okay. So here's Arn Anderson, and he can't help but comment about how she's wet and uh-huh. she looks great. Exactly. Always in a in a shitty show. Always bring Arn Anderson in to save it with a good promo. Stacy Keebler here and David Flair are going to be getting married next week on yeah. September 11th <laughs> in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd like to remind everybody that Ric Flair's son got married to Stacy Keebler on September 11th, 2000, and a year later, yes. on their one-year anniversary, That's right. coincidence, I think not, John Rocker. Do you remember this? I, no, I do not. You remember what John Rocker said? No, what what he said about yes in New York got him yes yes right. So they tried to go into business for themselves, bro. Okay, and challenge him for something on WCW. How much heat would John Rocker have had had he appeared at a pay per view for you guys? Uh, well, you know he he showed up at a couple events for us, but they wouldn't use him. That feels like the biggest waste. Yeah, in the history when you've got that much heat, why would you not use that? I, he was okay. He was on a rehab assignment with the Richmond Braves. And we were at the Richmond Coliseum, and we sent a limo to pick him up because Tanae was in the limo to pick him up. Was there a black driver? <laughs> no, I have. I got news for you. We're doing it way past the wedding. Are we? You and I are joined at the end for a, a long bitch. time. <laughs> I thought I was getting out of this. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, okay, then I'll quit, and you go back and sucking Bruce's dick. You know, me sucking Bruce's dick got an award. Did <laughs> <laughs> you know that? It's podcast of the year. <laughs> Tony Schiavone has passed away. He's choking on ice. <laughs> He's spinning everywhere. <laughs> All right, in the back, we see Big Papa Pump uh, warming up for Tommy Young. Vince Russo's got his helmet on. I'm not sure what the fuck is going on. But, <laughs> Tony's really in trouble, folks. <laughs> He's about to spill his drink and die. <laughs> this is happening. When that whole choking thing goes down, as I'm laughing and thinking this is all a joke, he realizes that I think it's a joke and he makes eye contact with me. So instead of looking forward, he looks over at me and I look over at him and I see panic in his eyes, like real panic. And I realized once we locked eyes, oh, this is serious. He, he's in trouble. Super rough in front of the show, Dave Miller. I'm sitting over there at the bar, 
next to Jay-Z and Jay-Z's pouring the drinks really strong. So we're over there choking up, you know, trying not to laugh where it could be heard. And Tony choked. I thought he was playing and then he stood up. And I think I was the first one in the room that kind of took him serious because I jumped up. It was, um, it was really scary there for a second because um, I couldn't tell that he was choking. I thought he was having a heart attack. When Tony almost died, I was on a flight home from the Conradison. What happened when Monday's social media director, Dave Hancock? Tony almost died, though I heard about it almost in real time. Uh, I'm sorry that I wasn't there. I was supposed to be there. That would have been quite the story to tell. What happened when Monday's artistic director, David Silva? I was scheduled to be at the Conradison that weekend. And unfortunately, because of work, I wasn't able to make it. But I did get to enjoy Tony Almost Dying. And pretty much um, a room full of possibly law enforcement, possibly people trained in rescues, just sat there and laughed as America's sweetheart almost dropped to his death. Amateur model photographer and friend of the show, Jay-Z Flair. Two words. Cat. Bath. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there to help while lazy-ass Matt Coon sat by. Tony didn't die. Of course, no help to Matt Coon at all. Afterwards, Tony left, everyone else went to bed, and Matt had to work on the podcast because it was due in five hours. Yeah, I'm glad Tony didn't die but mostly because Conrad would have probably asked me to write a fucking song. He lived to tell the tale. Coon sat there and did nothing. All joking aside, it was crazy for a second. And before Conrad went to sleep, he came up to check on what I was doing, and I played him back the tape of Tony choking. And I wanted to leave it in for comedic purposes, and he wasn't sure. And when I played the sound back to him, the look on his face was a look of concern and a look of worry for his friend. And the truth is, the mood never came back to that room. And Tony was fine. And he's going to be around for a long time. Well, he says 10 years. So he's going to be around at least 10 years. For Conrad Thompson, enough was enough, and it was time for a change. The Steve Austin show is the worst show in the history of shows. It's, it is the textbook example of everything not to do with a wrestling podcast besides the JJ Dillon show. I mean, that's the worst, but that Austin show is not much better than a JJ Dillon show. I mean, it's better. I think the decision uh, was reached on uh, doing the watch along shows kind of, uh, kind of evolved. I just said, Tony, we're just doing watch along now. That's it. And I know that that's, uh, probably not what a lot of people want to hear but it wasn't really a vote by committee tony looks to me to say hey man what's going to get us the most downloads what are they digging and he trusts me because i'm a wrestling fan i'm not like a, a genius podcaster uh because of his knowledge and because he is uh, one of the guys who who loves wrestling not that i don't but he's the one that kind of gets his his finger on the pulse of what works and what doesn't i'm a wrestling fan so i'm trying to put out a product that i would listen to So it's kind of easy if you're a buyer, hey, create something you would buy. And I would buy a watch-along show more so than I don't remember. It was the booking committee. Chapter 4, Breaking Off the Damn Knob. 
uh, the Halloween Havoc 1997 episode came after I, I really just beat up on Tony for a whole week about how awful the Austin show was and that he needed to bring it and that we were going to do watch along and he needed to turn the volume up. So he drove over and we taped Halloween Havoc 97 and 95 back to back. We took a break in between to go 97. I thought when we were done, I looked over at him and I said, that's the best episode we've ever done. So Roddy Piper actually bites Hulk Hogan's rear end. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now a couple of, uh, punches, yeah. eye scrapes. And oh, he's going to bite him again. Holy shit. Miraculously. He's not there, bleeding. There are no bite marks. But, there are no chunks. But uh, he was spitting something out there. So apparently probably tanning oil. <laughs> probably was. No, he's biting him in the forehead. Holy shit. And head first into the apron. It feels like Ming could have taught Piper a thing or two about biting people. No, absolutely could. Because Ming bites you, it's gonna, a hunk's going to come out. Okay. Lois ever take a bite out of uh, Mr. Shivani? No shit. Absolutely not. Feels like she's a scrapper. She, yeah. She'd take a bite out of a piece of fried chicken. That's about it. She likes her cock meat fried. <laughs> Jesus. What? <laughs> Meanwhile, back to the match. Roddy Piper pressure to the ears, chasing Hogan, who's rocking on the top. Hogan's thinking, I'm too old for this shit. And the WWF, on the other hand, is trying to present it as being too old for this shit. Oh, my goodness. Back they go, stomping all into the face of Hulk Hogan, to the throat. Roddy Piper's a possessed man. What do you think, Conrad? Thank you very much. And now we go back to the action. Thank you. Jesus. Uh, Meltzer, gotta, Meltzer speculates that the cage here is 20 feet high. Okay. Do you think that this is actually 20 feet high? Uh, okay. 20 feet would be two basketball goals high. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, eighth grader. We got you. <laughs> no, that's how a judge thinks. I, I think where would a basketball goal be, and would there be two of on top of it? And I don't think it's 20 feet high. I think it's more like maybe 15, 15 or maybe 15 and three stars. <laughs> oh, I don't my know. God. Okay. Listen to this. All right. Three-quarter stars? I don't know. A week prior to this, right. uh, Lanny Poffo got a tryout match in Biloxi. Uh, he wound up getting a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Uh, not that he could suck his own dick, yep. but that he got paid to sit at home. <laughs> what? I mean, he got paid to sit at home and suck yeah. his own dick, well, I, look, I don't know. Look, I talked to Lanny about that, but I saw Lanny recently. He denied that he got paid to sit at home? No. Well, well Peggy Lathan no, saw the other no, one. So. No, no, he admitted to it, and he realized that that because Randy Savage was his brother, that helped him out in his career. But he also had some very good matches, didn't Lanny Poffo? Okay, cool. Okay, I like Lanny. I, Lanny's, no, no, Lanny's I, a good guy. Now, check this out. So okay. the first one out of the cage wins. Right. Hogan is going to make his way out. He's stalling. Oh. Piper pushes him out. So Hogan was out okay. first, but the match continues. Yeah. Because as you explained on commentary, they went out at the same time. Even though that's not factually true, yeah. Hogan was out first. But I had to make up something there, didn't I? You did. Okay. And that uh, cage door was just slammed directly into Piper's hand. Oh, my Apparently, God. Apparently, if you hit Piper's hand, he loses all equilibrium. Okay. Here's, a, uh, here's something that uh, fans need to know, and they probably know as well. Hulk Hogan is bleeding here. And this is, I don't, I don't think he gigged himself. It could have been an old wound that was open. What hurt Piper more here, that cage door okay. or Stone Cold canceling his podcast? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's a real question. I don't, I don't know what hurt more. Oh, 
But Hogan is just starting to bleed up in the top. And Hogan is going to be bleeding during this match. And we are told now, as production crew, as camera people, get a wide shot. Get a wide shot, absolutely. So this is when the the edict has just come down a couple weeks prior. We're not going to do crotch chops. We're not going to do bronco rides. We're not going to say bad words. Right. We're going to be safer. Right. So Hogan here, you believe, has hard weight or he's gigged himself, but is just going off script. Well, there is a certain faction that believe he he gigged himself because I'm Hulk Hogan. There's Sting! Holy shit! Sorry, it's just kind of like a Pavlov's theory type thing there when I no, see No, I get it. Okay. I mean, it's instinct. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, Hogan could be doing, he's saying, I'm Hulk Hogan. I'm going to go ahead and bleed and f- you can go fuck yourself. And, but let's, now let's look. I, I see it's going to bleed on the top right here. So let's see if you actually see him saw himself or not. So Hogan is oh, so nervous it, about his head getting hit. He yeah. can't help but push that shoulder up. Yeah. Piper plays it's along. Sting! Sorry. Is Go it ahead. actually Sting or is it Canyon or who is well, it? Well, I don't know who it is, but it's not really not Sting. What did I say on the broadcast? Do you remember did I say? Not, I you said, I'm not sure if that's Sting. Okay, I don't know well, who's Sting yeah. anymore. Well, because Sting painted his face and that was a mask. Right? Right. So we knew. I, I mean, we knew it really wasn't Sting. Now, here... Uh, Slow fucking motion. What's happening right now? <laughs> okay. This Pipe, is in real time. Yeah, Piper trying to get back to the ring, and Hogan falls out of the ring. It's this- important to remember that Hogan has had a year-long feud here with Piper. At the end of uh, Halloween Havoc 96, after he beats Macho Man Randy Savage in the main event, Piper debuts unannounced and challenges Hogan. Right. And it kind of sets the wrestling world on fire a little bit. The lo- most recent time we saw him, was as the commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation. And earlier that same year, he had had a match at WrestleMania with Goldust. So it's kind of a surprise that he shows up. And here we are a year later. Of course, in between, they main evented Starcade, uh, where, believe it or not, Piper actually won with a sleeper hold. And then, of course, they had their match where, where they shot the, uh, the promo at Alcatraz. Right. It happened out at the Cow Palace at the Super Brawl. And now here we are. For Halloween Havoc. So three of the, I guess maybe the three biggest shows. Yeah, maybe you can make an argument for Bash at the Beach. Where would you put uh, Super Brawl in kind of the hierarchy of WCW pay-per-views? Uh, I always thought that Super Brawl was, you know, it was kind of like in the spring. So it was kind of like against WrestleMania. Right. But I kind of thought it was more of our SummerSlam. Yeah, I get that. It's two stings. Uh, Sting, Sting's galore. Oh is, my God! Is the line from Dusty Rhodes. Okay, Sting's galore. How was that? Was that a good Dusty? I got Rose? Sting's galore, Tony Savani. <laughs> got Sting's galore, and I got some hemorrhoids. You want to check out on me? Pull this stick out of my ass and smell it. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck was that? I've never heard that before. I don't know that I ever want to hear Lewis Black's full routine if it involves smelling people's ass sticks. <laughs> oh, I'm offended. You're offended. Bullshit. Yeah, not not really. Okay. All right. Now, Hogan is bleeding here. I've I've been looking. I don't think he gigged himself. This could be hard way. This feels like a jungle gym for the elderly. (laughs) Does it not? (laughs) Yes, it does. But, you know, this is the same cage that was in Chamber of Horrors. There you see Hogan bleeding. They got off the shot very quickly. Uh, Same cage we used everywhere else. It was just a cage that was... Easy to lower. Check out these bell shots here. Oh, my God. David Flair knows a thing or two about those. Oh, man. These, he's laying these in. Yeah, Piper's getting his hands up. Like, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's right. 
And you get in the heat of battle, right? You lay him in. He's into it. Yeah, he's absolutely into it. I don't think Hogan can't do some heel shit here, man. I know we, we always talk about how much we like him, how much a great performer he was in light of everybody in dirt sheet world hating him, but he could do some heel shit, man. I feel like I should mention here uh, a correction from earlier. We were kind of freestyling. Why wasn't six booked here? Yeah. Well, it turns out he wasn't booked because he broke his match. For, he broke his neck wrestling Lex Luger a few weeks prior. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So that's the good reason. Yeah, I mean that's, that's a good not reason. a bad reason, but that's, that's yeah. We know what you mean. You can yeah. call off the watchdogs, right. I guess, off Eric Bischoff. But those tweets are probably already gone. So yeah, fuck so it. what the fuck? Yeah, okay. He's looking for something to do. He's just watching Fox News, and well, apparently so. He's because he doesn't do his podcast anymore. Nope. Mm-mm. Which surprised me. And Hogan's going to try to get out here. Why does that surprise you? Russo will probably just take his spot, right? Oh, I don't- Russo's got his own podcast. Nobody else. I'm not getting into that, you son of a bitch. What? Okay. Uh, Hogan's trying to get out of the cage. That's a great shot. Uh, this is a great phenomenal shot. shot. Yeah. Uh, this feels like somebody was actually thinking ahead. Who would have planned a wide shot like this for the cage? Would this have been Craig Leathers? Uh, Craig would have been at the director. Keith would have been one of the producers in the truck. Uh, I'm going to give Keith Mitchell credit for this. And so as he starts to climb down, there's Sting pointing the bat at Hogan. Yeah. And uh, Hogan's thinking of twice about climbing down. So... Piper scales up on the inside, and now these guys are going to be facing off through the cage. Hogan wants no part of the bat. He'd rather deal with Piper than Sting. And, of course, we're two months away from the biggest pay-per-view of all time after, I guess, a year-and-a-half-long build of Sting versus Hulk Hogan. They're on top of this rickety chicken wire cage, which looks like an adult playpen. Sting Uh, again! How many Stings is this? Oh, shit, man. How many stings does it take to get in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? <laughs> and there, go, there comes one with his hairdo all down in front of him. That's the Shield version. That's the Roman Reigns one. <laughs> Roman Reigns sting. <laughs> sting Reigns. Well, yeah, we, we've got Ambrose uh, taking pictures at ringside. So, so Seth Rollins is one of those fake stings. <laughs> it's got to be. Okay. Now, Piper can win it here, right, by escaping? You know, I don't know. Because what what what's the what are the rules here? They they don't know that nobody because knows. earlier it was supposed to be the first one who was out and right. Hogan just walked the fuck out. Yeah, so so it was uh, a cage where the door wasn't locked. Yeah, it was confusion, and we it, it's one of the things a a small thing that led to our demise. Well, I think it's a matter of rather than Bischoff being concerned about what the steps were here in this match, he's more like tell that fucking fucking midget <laughs> to take his mask off tonight. <laughs> And I think that's what Bischoff was doing instead. Yeah, then you're right. When really, he should have been focused on the fucking main event. Yeah, uh, at least on the finish, wouldn't you think? You would think. What are the yeah. rules for a cage match? Uh, well, the rules for the, a cage match like this, if it's back to the old WWE, there's Sting again! Uh, back to the old WWE days. I didn't know. There's two more of those motherfuckers. Uh, back, where was it? Back to the old WWE days. Remember Paul Orndorff and, and uh, Hulk Hogan? One of the great cage matches where they stepped out at the same time and they had to go to the replay. But I don't know what this one's about. I have no idea. Piper slithering back into the ring. He picks up Hogan's shirt. He's going to use Hogan's shirt as a weapon. He starts to choke out Hollywood with his own shirt. Hogan thinks better of it, reaches down, grabs the big gold belt, whacks Piper in the head with it, and he just throws the belt down like a sack of shit. (laughs) That's right. How much do you think that belt was worth? Allegedly, it was uh, $10,000, all silver, like solid silver with gold on it. 
And uh, there's a book out about it, but I wanted to know, oh, my, look at that. Wow. He's really ramming Piper's head into the map. Absolutely is. As you can see, Hulk is still bleeding. Now what's he going to try here? Oh, he's going for his big leg drop. There it is. Now he's, now, wait, call he's calling for the ref. Wait a minute. Who's I outside. The ref unlocks the cage, slides in, and now he's going to count. So the referee was outside of the cage, but now he's inside and he's going to count. And Piper kicks out of the leg drop, and Hogan can't believe it. But it was only a two count, says Randy Anderson. But I thought the idea was, what the fuck is going on here? And here comes the Macho Man Randy Savage. And why shouldn't he? Now, the Macho Man is climbing the cage. The door is standing wide open. <laughs> you can just walk through like the referee just did. But right. instead, Macho Man is going to go to the top of what, sh what Meltzer said. It's a 20-foot high cage. And from this angle, it looks Oh, oh, did he connect that time? Uh, he connected with his knees, hips, elbows, oh. ankles. Uh, Macho Man comes off the cage. Sleeper! Sleeper replied to Hollywood Hulk Hogan, who yep. was trying to pick up his own belt. Not happening. Okay, this is it. This is it. Randy Anderson in position. Call it Pee Wee. One. It's raising up the arm. There's one. One. Raising up the arm. And there's two. Oh, he's going to keep the arm up this time. No, three. It's over. Oh, my God, it's over. It's over. Roddy Piper has won the match. He's won the age in a cage. Um, but so similar finish to uh, Starcade, where Piper wins with a sleeper. Bischoff comes out. He's pushing around some stings. Macho Man thrown out of the ring by Piper, and Bischoff's trying to make his way in. He's finally going to sneak in and get to check on his pride and joy, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Sting is trying to pull at Piper and uh, Savage. It's an interesting situation Ooh. here. And here comes Sting. In the Oh, my God. The mask flies off. It's Shawn Michaels. Sean Michaels. Shawn Michaels. Pantyhose. <laughs> it's one of the many fake things. Little known facts, boys and girls. <laughs> there you go. He that was, was his debut in WCW. They knew they had a cage match. They needed <laughs> a rating for. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Didn't even show his face, which is just like us. Now, what are they doing here? They're going to be handcuffing Roddy Piper. Yeah. And there's a Roddy Piper doll being stuck through the holes <laughs> of the cage. What the hell? It's real life. Oh, good God. Uh, and if memory serves me right here, Conrad, real life is about to really happen. Some of the worst uh, selling ever from Piper. Yeah, he's not even acknowledging well, that Macho Man is just firing off on him. He's supposed to be out on his feet here, right? Is, is that the, well, you should the move gimmick? your head if you're getting right. punched in the face. All right. So we're going to see some real life stuff here happen. And, I, and I've often been asked by fans, was this really a fan or was this a work? How about Hogan putting on the sting mask? That's pretty cool. <laughs> Kind of funny. Yeah, it is. As as fans are reaching through trying to hand these guys toys, Macho Man tried to <laughs> look at this. Okay, a fan jumps the ring. Yeah, and he's being shot and shown on camera. And he's yeah. scaling the ring at a furious pace. Right. He was a fan who sat at the corner who looks like the world's skinniest juggalo. Right. And here he comes, and they take the shot like they really think it's him. He has like, a sting mask, that, and a sting shirt. Okay. And now Shawn Michaels is covering him. Up. Actually, right. now that I'm looking at it, it looks like. Uh, Chad Gable. That could no. be Chad Gable. No. This, this was, this was a real fan. Hogan realizes what's going on. Savage realizes what's going on, and now you're going to see 
the end of working punches. You're saying these are shoot punches. This is a shoot punch. This is this fan went into the ring. Wait, Doug Dillinger uh, told wrestlers that, uh, many yeah. times. Why would they try to put him uh, in the once ring? Once the uh, wedding is paid for, that, why would you put uh, him in the ring where you know he's going to be end. on camera? Well, they want to they want uh, to show fans what they're fucking not Conrad do. can tell you there have been a couple of times where I've said, you know, okay. uh, we need to stop because this. they would shoot him climbing the cage because uh, I just got they weren't always told what was going to happen, and they thought this was and I don't like what I'm doing. They thought. This uh, was absolutely part of the game. And Conrad has said, I have no And now you're going to see Doug Dillinger's people get in and they so, frantically try to pull uh, him off. Once the uh, wedding is paid for in March, yeah. uh, the plan is uh, to continue to this go on. I, I, don't, they beat the shit I wonder if there's yeah, going to come a time and, and I've where seen, we run I've seen fans get the shit beat out of them before. Oh, I'm sorry. Run out of this, sure this, this was always I guess a thing in the business. And of course, the plan is to keep on going. When a fan got involved, ad nauseum, when he stepped through the ropes, he was going to get the fuck beat out of him. That was always an unwritten rule. And now you're seeing it happen. And right now we don't know what to do, right? Because we want to show Piper. We want to get off this guy. And they are just getting his ass out of there. Uh, Meltzer wrote, um, then came the post-match angle with the fan. Really bad stuff. Dud. Yeah. Okay. So they went 13 minutes and 37 seconds. Okay. And... It's kind of weird because it's a non-title match and Meltzer wrote the fact this was non-title must not have gotten across well because after the matches virtually the entire crowd live and it appears the majority of the TV viewers couldn't understand why Piper hadn't won the title. This was a slow motion battle of should be extinct dinosaurs mm. who came across great on Nitro during interviews but when they were put in the ring with all the hype, the lack of heat show they are having a harder time fooling the public that they can still wrestle another cage match where tons of guys get in both guys get out during the course of the match a million stings came out all to no reaction hogan juiced at one point he used two leg drops and somehow randy anderson got into the cage and there was no ref in the cage up to this point and it was billed as a no referee match and he counted the pin but piper kicked out Anderson stayed in there for a finish as Savage supposedly hit Hogan with his flying leap and Piper used the sleeper for the win. Uh, and then the fan deal, really bad stuff here. Dud. Yeah. Uh, Savage here, when he's jumping off the top of the cage, is just a couple of weeks shy of being 45 years old. Wow. Uh, kudos to him for such a feat because that could have went really, really wrong That's in a right. hurry. Yeah, it sure could have. I'm going to go back to this fan thing. What have you read, because I don't read this stuff, that it was really a fan or wasn't a fan? You know, I've got, I've got to be honest. I've got to do some more investigating yeah. on that, and okay. I'm sure that we will touch on it in the future. But I have always been of the impression that this was a fan yeah. because they showed so much of it. Right. It feels like if they're going to beat the shit out of him and yeah. break the law, that they might not shoot it. Yeah. Right. What, what, to me, when I saw him come up, and I wasn't sure because we're not told everything, when I saw him come down, I'm thinking, well, this is a part of the angle. But when the phony sting grabs him and holds him down, it made, okay, I, I saw that, that, but I thought that maybe that sting hadn't been smartened up. There was okay. a miscommunication, yeah. and that extra didn't know that this was part of the show. Yeah, well, I could be wrong. To me, it was a real fan. I thought it was a real fan, and I thought it was... Uh, because I and again I watched it again. They were laying them in on him. So 
Well, it makes me happy because even if it wasn't a real fan, the idea that a guy who was there and in the company thinks it was a real fan yeah. means it got over. Right. It worked. Yeah. And I think this worked. I think this was a much better episode than last week, and I thank you for that. Well, you're more than welcome. It's always good working with you and a good having Dave Silva in the audience here. I don't know what Dave did except go to your bathroom 10 well, feet away. Well, he took a huge shit. Yeah, he sure did. I think the shows have been great since the watch-along format. Okay, I had the privilege of staying at the Conradison when Tony and Conrad taped the infamous um, 1-900 promos with Mean Gene and Mark Marrow and Macho Man and all that craziness. You could hear me in the background losing it because those guys were in rare form. Now, that night was a crazy night. We had Mexican food. We were full. We were having a good time. We were laughing. We all got together to do the last podcast and to tape that night. And Tony was bananas. Tony was like, take off the seatbelt. I'm just going to go for it and I'm going to have fun. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but once you fill Tony's belly with Mexican food, he becomes a puro crazy vato. And he goes and he says some crazy stuff. Tony has imitated Mean Gene doing the hotline. Um, <laughs> Whenever he does Mean Gene in the hotline, I'm, I'm dying. 97, I thought when we were done, I looked over at him and I said, that's the best episode we've ever done. I had no idea that once Tony got uh, some enchiladas in his belly, he was going to break the mold with Halloween Havoc 95. The most foul, the most overtop, the most entertaining episode maybe in the history of podcasts halloween havoc 95 meanwhile call the wcw hotline right now i've got some inside information that you will not get anywhere else if nothing else i'll fucking lie about it that's right i'll lie to you 1-900-909-9900 call calls to buck 49 each minute don't tell your parents fuck them And now let's bring <laughs> Keep going. No, I'm trying not to sell. Keep going. Johnny, be bad. I want to talk to you for just a second. You're going to get some pussy tonight. Yes, I <laughs> Yes, I am, Gene. As if soon I, as I... <laughs> if I could go into the future, Mr. Brock Lesnar, please forgive me for what I'm about to do to my own wife. <laughs> I'm going to fuck Sable. And then I'm going to fuck Kimberly. And then I'm going to rub pussy juice on your bald head. Well, Johnny, be bad. Call the hotline right now. Put your dick on. Tell <laughs> <laughs> your dick to get your parents' permission. Yes. Oh yeah. Call right now. 1-900-909-9900. You can talk to Johnny B. Bad's dick. It's going to have a big not tonight because I'm a bad man. Yes, sir. I'm bad. I'm a bad man. I'm going to fuck something tonight. Wow. There he goes. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> He's not done. Oh, and Mr. Brock Lesnar, I forgot to apologize one more time. Oh, God. That's okay. Call the hotline. <laughs> We're having a great time. We're going to watch you fuck. <laughs> What's happening? What's happening? This was a wrestling podcast 10 minutes ago. Oh, God. Oh. 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 All right, back to the ring. This is the longest promo 
in the Jesus history of promos. Christ. Well, they were talking about pussy in the 900 number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there you go. The way you say, Bobby, he's going to fuck them both tonight. Yes, he is. But I'm worried about the truck. The truck on the roof. One of the biggest shit storms that we've ever had. Look back behind me. Look at them humanoids. Well, oh, go fuck yourself. Let's go to the ring. All right. Can we go to the ring? What time are we going to go to the ring? Craig Leathers, get your head out your ass. I've already pitched to the ring. All right, I'm going to pitch to the ring. Hey, he's pitching to the ring. Okay, what are we talking about here? What? I don't Bobby's talking about jerking himself off there, isn't he, a little bit? they got to be. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? they got to be. All right. Thank you very much, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, before we go back to the ring, I want to let everybody know again, a pussy looks like this. It's, and it closes like that. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Okay. The time of the Dungeon of Doom. Oh, I'm really excited about Ooh, this. The Dungeon because... of Doom. Oh, there's King Curtis. This is real. This is Sullivan. Sullivan, do you remember the million-dollar cookie where you would have that LSD in a hard cookies and everybody would lick their tongue across it? Do you remember that, Kevin? Lord Alfred Hayes saw a frog in his bedroom after he licked the million-dollar cookie. Sullivan, are you alive? Say fucking something, Kevin Sullivan! Ooh, Hogan, soon as you get your ass out of that truck, we're going to perforate you with the Yeti. Yes, the Yeti's coming, Kevin. Kevin, talk! What the fuck do I have to keep talking for? Kevin Sullivan! This is a live look at MSL and Sullivan this week. <laughs> I don't think MSL looks that good, does he? Put some shades on that motherfucker. <laughs> same, same. All right, call the hotline, and we'll talk about all the broads that we fuck, and we'll see you later. Uh, thank you, white trash people, for being with us. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> That's right. White Come trash. Ray. Yeah, Come we're in Detroit, Ray. but we got white trash people from Alabama. Jimmy Hart, shut the fuck up. You, oh, hairy bastard, you look alike of uh, Wolfgang Puck or whatever it is. And you, Hulk Hogan, let me tell you, are you going to fuck anybody tonight? I'm going to fuck the promotion, Mean Gene, the way I've done ever since I came here. Yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. Fuck the promotion. Fuck the promotion. And then fuck the promotion. All right. You heard it from the one and only Hulk Hogan. It's a night to fuck the promotion. What? WCW declares war on professional wrestling. I'm going to bed. I don't, I'm not needed. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Kids must have parents' permission before calling. Sponsored by Turner Broadcasting Systems, or as we call it now, the Big Shithouse. All right. Here it is. I fucked up Sting. And now, <laughs> I'm going to show people at the Marriott. Here in Detroit, my dick, later tonight. And I'm going to show Flying Brian my dick. Go ahead and throw anything at me you want. But you can't stop me. Everybody, before the night's over, is going to see my dick. And if you're not in the bar, I'll send you pictures of my dick if you send me your address. Right, Brian? Woo! (laughs) Right on. What the fuck type of interview am I drawn in on? Uh, this supposed to be real wrestling, and we're talking about your dick? Who you think hasn't seen your dick? Everybody has seen your dick. Oh, yeah, but the ones that say they haven't, I'll show it to them again. 
It's the baby's arm for everybody. Woo! Thank you. You can talk more about this on the wrestling hotline. <laughs> Absolutely. In a few moments, we are going to destroy the business. And Shivani, let me say this. I'll be able to go back to the WWF. Heenan will be able to go back. You will not be able to go back because you're fucked. That's right. Don't even hire Eric Bischoff, who said he was going to put a stake to the heart of Vince McMahon. Vince hired him instead of you. All right. Now we go to the ring. Sting. I'm just going to turn my mic off. Overselling the shit here. bad. <laughs> no. Hang with me, man. You're a partner. Dude, my- dude I'm unnecessary. <laughs> I'm, Larry, I'm Larry Zabisco. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Let me grab my dick and say, what in the world is on my hands? Did I shit on my hands? Oh, my God. I don't know, but it smells like shit. Smells like shit to me. And I can tell you this, Shivani, in a couple of years, you're going to fuck me over. But me. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm going to go on to the WWF. I'm going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And you, you'll be sitting doing radio. That's right, radio and minor league baseball. Don't look so forlorn. Look how I look over there. I know what he's talking about. You're going to be the a Gwinnett fuck- Braves. Yeah, is this Gwinnett. a rib? Yeah, this is a rib. I'm going to be doing radio. What the fuck? Oh, the motherfucker. I'm going to. And now well, let's go back to Lex Luger. And now Mike today. Mike, is that circles under your eyes or are you a raccoon? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lex, I just want to say that well, I'm not at- Gene Okerlund and I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but can you say something to us about that shitty match that against me? Lex Luger, can, what can you tell us about the importance of the mask in Mexico? <laughs> Mike, you're right. Luchadors, you suck. <laughs> you have no business here in the United States where I, a person who can't talk, who can't work, who can't sell, makes millions of dollars. But I know where the drugs in Atlanta are. Miss <laughs> Elizabeth, if you're oh, watching. <laughs> Stop. Can you imagine if he wrote a misconnection to Miss Elizabeth? Stop it. Oh, yeah. I saw you looking at me. I'm talking about you, the Luchadors. I want to snap into it. Yeah. I'm talking about you, you motherfuckers who prance around with a mask on. You think it's a mystical thing? You don't know shit. I know guys who wrestle in the Congo. That's right. And they cast spells on people. And they're wrestling. They'll cast a spell on a guy, and he will be catatonic in the corner. I've seen that in the Congo. So don't tell me your luchador shit, Mike Denae. The mask means nothing. I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to bump. And I'm going to make more money than any of you motherfuckers combined. Because this is where the big boys play. And I'll, one more thing I'd like to say. Praise the Lord. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> This is just the beginning for what happened when, and this is just the beginning for Tony Schiavone. Fast forward about a year, and here we are, Tony, doing some convention shows, and uh, there's talk of live shows, which would be cool, and now doing work with uh, with MLW, and uh, I think that's fantastic. So it's great to see that kind of uh, that evolution and the, the change that he's had in his attitude. It's pretty cool. Because the vast majority of us didn't stop watching him and didn't stop liking him, and never stopped appreciating him. 
Tony Schiavone is, to me, one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. You know. And I was really excited to have him be a part of the wrestling business again. And the wrestling community accept him back with open arms. Tony Schiavone is an amazing, amazing man. I'm hoping that people take notice, and I'm hoping that Tony jumps in full force and really gives the viewers nowadays the taste that I grew up with listening to Tony Schiavone call matches because nothing beats it. The good news is Tony Schiavone's back in the wrestling world. The better news is you never left. It's been super fun uh, to see Tony get back into wrestling because it feels like he had sort of thought people forgot about him or you know they didn't like him or respect him or appreciate him and it really jaded him and he developed like this hardened shell towards the industry and the fans and then in time he's realized hey they don't hate you they di- they get it and he just didn't get it and now he does and you know butts in the seats used to be something that would piss him off and it doesn't now because he doesn't look back at wrestling and think oh this was a great thing that was taken from me he's still a part of it and when guys on the main roster who he's never met like a Zack Ryder or Kurt Hawkins or uh, Dolph Ziggler reach out and tweet about the show or tweet pictures of the shirts or you know, send him a DM or meet him at Kowloon's just randomly and ask for a picture, it makes his day because it, it lets him know that people do care and they appreciate what he did and it doesn't have to be something he has to be ashamed of because in the real sports world, I'm sure it was something that was ridiculed and made fun of. And so instead to know that he didn't just sort of waste 30 years of his life, it's got to be pretty rewarding. And, and I'm having a great time seeing him sort of tiptoe back in with the podcast and now he's making you know he's got merch and he's making conventions and he's doing personal appearances and he's even calling wrestling again for mlw and if you would have tried to tell him that that would have been his life two years ago he would have said you're a liar and probably motherfucked you flat the history of what happened when mondays volume one i'm going back to the start
The world of MLW Radio never stops. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 